The Martyrs of Palestine, Part Two, from Eusebius Church History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Leeson. Church History by Eusebius of Caesarea, translated by Arthur Cushman McGifford. The Martyrs of Palestine, Part Two. Chapters 6 through 10. Chapter 6. In the fourth year of the persecution against us, on the twelfth day before the calends of December, which is the twentieth day of the month Dius, on the day before the Sabbath, while the tyrant Maximinus was present and giving magnificent shows in honor of his birthday, the following event, truly worthy of record, occurred in the city of Caesarea. As it was an ancient custom to furnish the spectators more splendid shows when the emperors were present than at other times, new and foreign spectacles taking the place of the customary amusements, such as animals brought from India or Ethiopia or other places, or men who could astonish the beholders with skillful bodily exercises, it was necessary at this time, as the emperor was giving the exhibition, to add to the shows something more wonderful and what should this be a witness of our doctrine was brought into the midst and endured the contest for the true and only religion this was agapius who as we have stated a little above was with thecla the second to be thrown to the wild beasts for food he had also three times and more marched with malefactors from the prison to the arena and every time after threats from the judge whether in compassion or in hope that he might change his mind, had been reserved for other conflicts. But the emperor being present, he was brought out at this time, as if he had been appropriately reserved for this occasion, until the very word of the Saviour should be fulfilled in him, which through divine knowledge he declared to his disciples that they should be brought before kings on account of their testimony unto him. He was taken into the midst of the arena with a certain malefactor who they said was charged with the murder of his master. But this murderer of his master, when he had been cast to the wild beasts, was deemed worthy of compassion and humanity, almost like Barabbas in the time of our Saviour, and the whole theatre resounded with shouts and cries of approval, because the murderer was humanely saved by the emperor, and deemed worthy of honour and freedom but the athlete of religion was first summoned by the tyrant and promised liberty if he would deny his profession but he testified with a loud voice that not for any fault but for the religion of the creator of the universe he would readily and with pleasure endure whatever might be inflicted upon him having said this he joined the deed to the word and rushed to meet a bear which had been let loose against him surrendering himself most cheerfully to be devoured by him after this as he still breathed he was cast into prison and living yet one day stones were bound to his feet and he was drowned in the depths of the sea such was the martyrdom of agapius chapter seven again in caesarea when the persecution had continued to the fifth year on the second day of the month xanthicus which is the fourth before the nones of april 
on the very lord's day of our saviour's resurrection theodosia a virgin from tyre a faithful and sedate maiden not yet eighteen years of age went up to certain prisoners who were confessing the kingdom of christ and sitting before the judgment seat and saluted them and as is probable besought them to remember her when they came before the lord thereupon as if she had committed a profane and impious act the soldiers seized her and led her to the governor and he immediately like a madman and a wild beast in his anger tortured her with dreadful and most terrible torments in her sides and breasts even to the very bones and as she still breathed and withal stood with a joyful and beaming countenance he ordered her thrown into the waves of the sea then passing from her to the other confessors he condemned all of them to the copper mines in fino in palestine afterwards on the fifth of the month dias on the nones of november according to the romans in the same city sylvanus who at that time was a presbyter and confessor but who shortly after was honored with the episcopate and died a martyr and those with him men who had shown the noblest firmness in behalf of religion were condemned by him to labor in the same copper mines command being first given that their ankles be disabled with hot irons at the same time he delivered to the flames a man who was illustrious through numerous other confessions this was domninus who was well known to all in palestine for his exceeding fearlessness after this the same judge who was a cruel contriver of suffering and an inventor of devices against the doctrine of christ planned against the pious punishments that had never been heard of he condemned three to single pugilistic combat he delivered to be devoured by wild beasts auxentius a grave and holy old man others who were in mature life he made eunuchs and condemned them to the same minds yet others after severe tortures he cast into prison among these was my dearest friend pamphilus who was by reason of every virtue the most illustrious of the martyrs in our time urbanus first tested him in rhetorical philosophy and learning and afterwards endeavored to compel him to sacrifice but as he saw that he refused and in no wise regarded his threats being exceedingly angry he ordered him to be tormented with severest tortures and when the brutal man after he had almost satiated himself with these tortures by continuous and prolonged scrapings in his sides was yet covered with shame before all he put him also with the confessors in prison but what recompense for his cruelty to the saints he who thus abused the martyrs of christ shall receive from the divine judgment may be easily determined from the preludes to it in which immediately and not long after his daring cruelties against pamphilus while he yet held government the divine judgment came upon him for thus suddenly he who but yesterday was judging on the lofty tribunal guarded by a band of soldiers and ruling over the whole nation of palestine the associate and dearest friend and table companion of the tyrant himself was stripped in one night and overwhelmed with disgrace and shame before those who had formerly admired him as if he were himself an emperor and he appeared cowardly and unmanly uttering womanish cries and supplications to all the people whom he had ruled and maximinus himself in reliance upon whose favor urbanus was formerly so arrogantly insolent 
as if he loved him exceedingly for his deeds against us was set as a harsh and most severe judge in this same caesarea to pronounce sentence of death against him for the great disgrace of the crimes of which he was convicted let us say this in passing a suitable time may come when we shall have leisure to relate the end and the fate of those impious men who especially fought against us both of maximinus himself and those with him chapter eight up to the sixth year the storm had been incessantly raging against us before this time there had been a very large number of confessors of religion in the so-called porphyry quarry in thebais which gets its name from the stone found there of these one hundred men lacking three together with women and infants were sent to the governor of palestine when they confessed the god of the universe and christ vermilianus who had been sent there as governor in the place of urbanus directed in accordance with the imperial command that they should be maimed by burning the sinews of the ankles of their left feet and that their right eyes with the eyelids and pupils should first be cut out and then destroyed by hot irons to the very roots and he then sent them to the mines in the province to endure hardships with severe toil and suffering but it was not sufficient that these only who suffered such miseries should be deprived of their eyes but those natives of palestine also who were mentioned just above as condemned to pugilistic combat since they would neither receive food from the royal storehouse nor undergo the necessary preparatory exercises having been brought on this account not only before the overseers but also before maximinus himself and having manifested the noblest persistence in confession by the endurance of hunger and stripes they received like punishment with those whom we have mentioned and with them other confessors in the city of caesarea immediately afterwards others who were gathered to hear the scriptures read were seized in gaza and some endured the same sufferings in the feet and eyes but others were afflicted with yet greater torments and with most terrible tortures in the sides one of these in body a woman but in understanding a man would not endure the threat of fornication and spoke directly against the tyrant who entrusted the government to such cruel judges she was first scourged and then raised aloft on the stake and her sides lacerated as those appointed for this purpose applied the tortures incessantly and severely at the command of the judge another with mind fixed like the former on virginity as her aim a woman who was altogether mean in form and contemptible in appearance but on the other hand strong in soul and endowed with an understanding superior to her body being unable to bear the merciless and cruel and inhuman deeds with a boldness beyond that of the combatants famed among the greeks cried out to the judge from the midst of the crowd and how long will you thus cruelly torture my sister but he was greatly enraged and ordered the woman to be immediately seized thereupon she was brought forward and having called herself by the august name of the saviour she was first urged by words to sacrifice and as she refused she was dragged by force to the altar but her sister continued to maintain her former zeal and with intrepid and resolute foot kicked the altar and overturned it with the fire that was on it thereupon the judge enraged like a wild beast inflicted on her such tortures in her sides as he never had on any one before striving almost to glut himself with her raw flesh 
but when his madness was satiated he bound them both together this one and her whom she called sister and condemned them to death by fire it is said that the first of these was from the country of gaza the other by name valentina was of caesarea and was well known to many but how can i describe as it deserves the martyrdom which followed with which the thrice blessed paul was honored he was condemned to death at the same time with them under one sentence at the time of his martyrdom as the executioner was about to cut off his head he requested a brief respite this being granted he first in a clear and distinct voice supplicated god in behalf of his fellow christians praying for their pardon and that freedom might soon be restored to them then he asked for the conversion of the jews to god through christ and proceeding in order he requested the same things for the samaritans and besought that those gentiles who were in error and were ignorant of god might come to a knowledge of him and adopt the true religion nor did he leave neglected the mixed multitude who were standing around after all these oh great and unspeakable forbearance he entreated the god of the universe for the judge who had condemned him to death and for the highest rulers and also for the one who was about to behead him in his hearing and that of all present beseeching that their sin toward him should not be reckoned against them having prayed for these things with a loud voice and having as one who was dying unjustly moved almost all to compassion and tears of his own accord he made himself ready and submitted his bare neck to the stroke of the sword and was adorned with divine martyrdom this took place on the twenty-fifth day of the month panamus which is the eighth before the calends of august such was the end of these persons but not long after one hundred and thirty admirable athletes of the confession of christ from the land of egypt endured in egypt itself at the command of maximinus the same afflictions in their eyes and feet with the former persons and were sent to the above-mentioned mines in palestine but some of them were condemned to the mines in cilicia chapter nine after such noble acts of the distinguished martyrs of christ the flame of persecution lessened and was quenched as it were by their sacred blood and relief and liberty were granted to those who for christ's sake were laboring in the mines of thebaeus and for a little time we were beginning to breathe pure air but by some new impulse i know not what he who held the power to persecute was again aroused against the christians immediately letters from maximinus against us were published everywhere in every province the governors and the military prefect urged by edicts and letters and public ordinances the magistrates and generals and notaries in all the cities to carry out the imperial decree which ordered that the altars of the idols should with all speed be rebuilt and that all men women and children even infants at the breast should sacrifice and offer oblations and that with diligence and care they should cause them to taste of the execrable offerings and that the things for sale in the market should be polluted with libations from the sacrifices and that guards should be stationed before the baths in order to defile with the abominable sacrifices those who went to wash in them when these orders were being carried out our people as was natural 
were at the beginning greatly distressed in mind and even the unbelieving heathen blamed the severity and the exceeding absurdity of what was done for these things appeared to them extreme and burdensome as the heaviest storm impended over all and every quarter the divine power of our saviour again infused such boldness into his athletes that without being drawn on or dragged forward by any one they spurned the threats three of the faithful joining together rushed on the governor as he was sacrificing to the idols and cried out to him to cease from his delusion there being no other god than the maker and creator of the universe when he asked who they were they confessed boldly that they were christians thereupon firmilianus being greatly enraged sentenced them to capital punishment without inflicting tortures upon them the name of the eldest of these was antoninus of the next zebinus who was a native of eleutheropolis and of the third germanus this took place on the thirteenth of the month dias the ides of november there was associated with them on the same day in Athos, a woman from Scythopolis, who was adorned with the chaplet of virginity. She did not indeed do as they had done, but was dragged by force and brought before the judge. She endured scourgings and cruel insults, which Maxis, a tribune of a neighboring district, without the knowledge of the superior authority, dared to inflict upon her. He was a man worse than his name, sanguinary in other respects, exceedingly harsh and altogether cruel, and censured by all who knew him. This man stripped the blessed woman of all her clothing, so that she was covered only from her loins to her feet and the rest of her body was bare, and he led her through the entire city of Caesarea, and regarded it as a great thing to beat her with the thongs while she was dragged through all the market-places after such treatment she manifested the noblest constancy at the judgment seat of the governor himself and the judge condemned her to be burned alive he also carried his rage against the pious to a most inhuman length and transgressed the laws of nature not being ashamed even to deny burial to the lifeless bodies of the sacred men thus he ordered the dead to be exposed in the open air as food for wild beasts and to be watched carefully by night and day for many days a large number of men attended to this savage and barbarous decree, and they looked out from their post of observation, as it were a matter worthy of care, to see that the dead bodies should not be stolen. And wild beasts and dogs and birds of prey scattered the human limbs here and there, and the whole city was strewed with the entrails and bones of men. So that nothing had ever appeared more dreadful and horrible, even to those who formerly hated us, though they bewailed not so much the calamity of those against whom these things were done as the outrage against themselves and the common nature of man for there was to be seen near the gates a spectacle beyond all description and tragic recital for not only was human flesh devoured in one place but it was scattered in every place so that some said that limbs and masses of flesh and parts of entrails were to be seen even within the gates after these things had continued for many days, a wonderful event occurred. The air was clear and bright, and the appearance of the sky most serene, when suddenly throughout the city from the pillars which supported the public porches many drops fell like tears, and the market-places and streets, though there was no mist in the air, were moistened with sprinkled water, whence I know not. 
then immediately it was reported everywhere that the earth unable to endure the abomination of these things had shed tears in a mysterious manner and that as a rebuke to the relentless and unfeeling nature of men stones and lifeless wood had wept for what had happened i know well that this account may perhaps appear idle and fabulous to those who come after us but not to those to whom the truth was confirmed at the time chapter ten on the fourteenth day of the following month apelius the nineteenth before the calends of january certain persons from egypt were again seized by those who examined people passing the gates they had been sent to minister to the confessors in cilicia they received the same sentence as those whom they had gone to help being mutilated in their eyes and feet three of them exhibited in ascalon where they were imprisoned marvellous bravery in the endurance of various kinds of martyrdom one of them named ares was condemned to the flames and the others called probus and ilias were beheaded on the seventh day of the month audinius which is the third before the ides of january in the same city of caesarea peter an ascetic also called absalamus from the village of ania on the borders of eleutheropolis like purest gold gave noble proof by fire of his faith in the christ of god though the judge and those around him besought him many times to have compassion on himself and to spare his own youth and bloom he disregarded them preferring hope in the god of the universe to all things even to life itself a certain asclepius supposed to be a bishop of the sect of marcion possessed as he thought with zeal for religion but not according to knowledge ended his life on one and the same funeral pyre these things took place in this manner end of the martyrs of palestine part two the martyrs of palestine part three from eusebius church history this is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Leeson Church History by Eusebius of Caesarea Translated by Arthur Cushman McGifford The Martyrs of Palestine, Part 3, Chapters 11-13 through 13. Chapter 11 it is time to describe the great and celebrated spectacle of Pamphilus, a man thrice dear to me, and of those who finished their course with him. They were twelve in all, being counted worthy of apostolic grace and number. Of these, the leader and the only one honored with the position of a presbyter at Caesarea was Pamphilus, a man who through his entire life was celebrated for every virtue, for renouncing and despising the world, for sharing his possessions with the needy, for contempt of earthly hopes, and for philosophic deportment and exercise. He especially excelled all in our time in most sincere devotion to the divine scriptures, and indefatigable industry in whatever he undertook, and in his helpfulness to his relatives and associates. In a separate treatise on his life, consisting of three books, we have already described the excellence of his virtue, referring to this work those who delight in such things and desire to know them let us now consider the martyrs in order 
Second after Pamphilus, Valles, who was honored for his venerable gray hair, entered the contest. He was a deacon from Elia, an old man of gravest appearance, and versed in the divine scriptures if any one ever was. He had so laid up the memory of them in his heart that he did not need to look at the books if he undertook to repeat any passage of scripture. The third was Paul from the city of Jamna, who was known among them as most zealous and fervent in spirit. Previous to his martyrdom, he had endured the conflict of confession by cauterization. After these persons had continued in prison for two entire years, the occasion of their martyrdom was a second arrival of Egyptian brethren who suffered with them. They had accompanied the confessors in Cilicia to the mines there and were returning to their homes. At the entrance of the gates of Caesarea, the guards, who were men of barbarous character, questioned them as to who they were and whence they came. They kept back nothing of the truth, and were seized as malefactors taken in the very act. They were five in number. When brought before the tyrant, being very bold in his presence, they were immediately thrown into prison. On the next day, which was the nineteenth of the month Paricius, according to the Roman reckoning of the fourteenth before the calends of March, they were brought, according to command, before the judge, with Pamphilus and his associates whom we have mentioned, first by all kinds of torture, through the invention of strange and various machines, he tested the invincible constancy of the Egyptians. Having practiced these cruelties upon the leader of all, he asked him first who he was. He heard in reply the name of some prophet instead of his proper name, for it was their custom, in place of the names of idols given them by their fathers, if they had such, to take other names, so that you would hear them calling themselves Elijah or Jeremiah, or Isaiah, or Samuel, or Daniel, thus showing themselves inwardly true Jews, and the genuine Israel of God, not only in deeds, but in the names which they bore. When Firmilianus had heard some such name from the martyr, and did not understand the force of the word, he asked next the name of his country. But he gave a second answer similar to the former, saying that Jerusalem was his country, meaning that of which Paul says, Jerusalem which is above is free, which is our mother, and ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. This was what he meant, but the judge, thinking only of the earth, sought diligently to discover what that city was, and in what part of the world it was situated, and therefore he applied tortures that the truth might be acknowledged. But the man, with his hands twisted behind his back, and his feet crushed by strange machines, asserted firmly that he had spoken the truth. And being questioned again repeatedly what and where the city was of which he spoke, he said that it was the country of the pious alone, for no others should have a place in it, and that it lay toward the far east and the rising sun. He philosophized about these things according to his own understanding, and was in no wise turned from them by the tortures with which he was afflicted on every side, and as if he were without flesh or body, he seemed insensible of his sufferings. But the judge, being perplexed, was impatient, thinking that the Christians were about to establish a city somewhere, inimical and hostile to the Romans, and he inquired much about this, and investigated where that country toward the east was located. 
but when he had for a long time lacerated the young man with scourgings and punished him with all sorts of torments he perceived that his persistence in what he had said could not be changed and passed against him sentence of death such a scene was exhibited by what was done to this man and having inflicted similar tortures on the others he sent them away in the same manner then being wearied and perceiving that he punished the men in vain having satiated his desire he proceeded against pamphilus and his companions and having learned that already under former tortures they had manifested an unchangeable zeal for the faith he asked them if they would now obey and receiving from every one of them only this one answer as their last word of confession in martyrdom he inflicted on them punishment similar to the others when this had been done a young man one of the household servants of pamphilus who had been educated in the noble life and instruction of such a man learning the sentence passed upon his master cried out from the midst of the crowd asking that their bodies might be buried thereupon the judge not a man but a wild beast or if anything more savage than a wild beast giving no consideration to the young man's age asked him only the same question when he learned that he confessed himself a christian as if he had been wounded by a dart swelling with rage he ordered the tormentors to use their utmost power against him and when he saw that he refused to sacrifice as commanded he ordered them to scrape him continually to his very bones and to the inmost recesses of his bowels not as if he were human flesh but as if he were stones or wood or any lifeless thing but after long persistence he saw that this was in vain as the man was speechless and insensible and almost lifeless his body being worn out by the tortures but being inflexibly merciless and inhuman he ordered him to be committed straightway as he was to a slow fire and before the death of his earthly master though he had entered later on the conflict he received release from the body while those who had been zealous about the others were yet delaying one could then see porphyry like one who had come off victorious in every conflict his body covered with dust but his countenance cheerful after such sufferings with courageous and exulting mind advancing to death and as if truly filled with the divine spirit covered only with his philosophic robe thrown about him as a cloak soberly and intelligently he directed his friends as to what he wished and beckoned to them preserving still a cheerful countenance even at the stake but when the fire was kindled at some distance around him in a circle having inhaled the flame into his mouth he continued most nobly in silence from that time till his death after the single word which he uttered when the flame first touched him and he cried out for the help of jesus the son of god such was the contest of porphyry his death was reported to pamphilus by a messenger seleucus he was one of the confessors from the army as the bearer of such a message he was forthwith deemed worthy of a similar lot for as soon as he related the death of porphyry and had saluted one of the martyrs with a kiss some of the soldiers seized him and led him to the governor and he as if he would hasten him on to be a companion of the former on the way to heaven commanded that he be put to death immediately this man was from cappadocia and belonged to the select band of soldiers and had obtained no small honor in those things which are esteemed among the romans 
for in stature and bodily strength and size and vigor he far excelled his fellow-soldiers so that his appearance was matter of common talk and his whole form was admired on account of its size and symmetrical proportions at the beginning of the persecution he was prominent in the conflicts of confession through his patience under scourging after he left the army he set himself to imitate zealously the religious ascetics and as if he were their father and guardian he showed himself a bishop and patron of destitute orphans and defenceless widows and of those who were distressed with penury or sickness it is likely that on this account he was deemed worthy of an extraordinary call to martyrdom by god who rejoices in such things more than in the smoke and blood of sacrifices he was the tenth athlete among those whom we have mentioned as meeting their end on one and the same day on this day as was fitting the chief gate was opened and a ready way of entrance into the kingdom of heaven was given to the martyr pamphilus and to the others with him in the footsteps of seleucus came theodulus a grave and pious old man who belonged to the governor's household and had been honored by Firmilianus himself more than all the others in his house on account of his age and because he was a father of the third generation and also on account of the kindness and most faithful conscientiousness which he had manifested toward him as he pursued the course of seleucus when brought before his master the latter was more angry at him than at those who had preceded him and condemned him to endure the martyrdom of the saviour on the cross as there lacked yet one to fill up the number of the twelve martyrs of whom we have spoken julian came to complete it he had just arrived from abroad and had not yet entered the gate of the city when having learned about the martyrs while still on the way he rushed at once just as he was to see them when he beheld the tabernacles of the saints prone on the ground being filled with joy he embraced and kissed them all the ministers of slaughter straightway seized him as he was doing this and led him to Firmilianus. Acting as was his custom, he condemned him to a slow fire. Thereupon Julian, leaping and exulting, in a loud voice gave thanks to the Lord who had judged him worthy of such things, and was honored with the crown of martyrdom. He was a Cappadocian by birth, and in his manner of life he was most circumspect, faithful and sincere zealous in all other respects and animated by the holy spirit himself such was the company which was thought worthy to enter into martyrdom with pamphilus by the command of the impious governor their sacred and truly holy bodies were kept as food for the wild beasts for four days and as many nights but since strange to say through the providential care of god nothing approached them neither beast of prey nor bird nor dog they were taken up uninjured and after suitable preparation were buried in the customary manner when the report of what had been done to these men was spread in all directions adrianus and eubulus having come from the so-called country of mangania to caesarea to see the remaining confessors were also asked at the gate the reason for their coming and having acknowledged the truth were brought to firmilianus but he as was his custom without delay inflicted many tortures in their sides and condemned them to be devoured by wild beasts after two days on the fifth of the month distress the third before the nones of march which was regarded as the birthday of the tutelary divinity of caesarea adrianus was thrown to a lion 
and afterward slain with the sword. But Eubulus, two days later, on the nones of March, that is, on the seventh of the month Distress, when the judge had earnestly entreated him to enjoy by sacrificing that which was considered freedom among them, preferring a glorious death for religion to transitory life, was made like the other an offering to wild beasts, and as the last of the martyrs in Caesarea, sealed the list of athletes. It is proper also to relate here how in a short time the heavenly providence came upon the impious rulers, together with the tyrants themselves. For that very Firmilianus, who had thus abused the martyrs of Christ, after suffering with the others the severest punishment, was put to death by the sword. Such were the martyrdoms which took place at Caesarea during the entire period of the persecution. Chapter 12 I think it best to pass by all the other events which occurred in the meantime, such as those which happened to the bishops of the churches, when instead of shepherds of the rational flocks of Christ, over which they presided in an unlawful manner, the divine judgment, considering them worthy of such a charge, made them keepers of camels, an irrational beast, and very crooked in the structure of its body, or condemned them to have the care of the imperial horses, and I pass by also the insults and disgraces and tortures they endured from the imperial overseers and rulers, on account of the sacred vessels and treasures of the church, and besides these the lust of power on the part of many, the disorderly and unlawful ordinations, and the schisms among the confessors themselves, also the novelties which were zealously devised against the remnants of the church by the new and factious members, who added innovation after innovation and forced them in unsparingly among the calamities of the persecution, heaping misfortune upon misfortune. I judge it more suitable to shun and avoid the account of these things, as I said at the beginning. But such things as are sober and praiseworthy, according to the sacred word, and if there be any virtue and praise, I consider it most proper to tell and to record, and to present to believing hearers in the history of the admirable martyrs. And after this I think it best to crown the entire work with an account of the peace which has appeared unto us from heaven. CHAPTER Thirteen. The seventh year of our conflict was completed, and the hostile measures which had continued into the eighth year were gradually and quietly becoming less severe. A large number of confessors were collected at the copper mines in Palestine, and were acting with considerable boldness, so far as even to build places of worship. But the ruler of the province, a cruel and wicked man, as his acts against the martyrs showed, having come there and learned the state of affairs, communicated it to the emperor, writing in accusation whatever he thought best. Thereupon, being appointed superintendent of the mines, he divided the band of confessors as if by a royal decree, and sent some to dwell in Cyprus and others in Lebanon, and he scattered others in different parts of Palestine and ordered them to labor in various works. And, selecting the four who seemed to him to be the leaders, he sent them to the commander of the armies in that section. These were Peleus and Nilus, Egyptian bishops, also a presbyter, and Potermuthius, who was known among them all for his zeal toward all. The commander of the army demanded of them a denial of religion, and not obtaining this, he condemned them to death by fire. 
there were others there who had been allotted to dwell in a separate place by themselves such of the confessors as on account of age or mutilations or for other bodily infirmities had been released from service sylvanus a bishop from gaza presided over them and set a worthy and genuine example of christianity this man having from the first day of the persecution and throughout its entire continuance been eminent for his confessions in all sorts of conflicts had been kept all that time that he might so to speak set the final seal upon the whole conflict in palestine there were with him many from egypt among whom was john who surpassed all in our time in the excellence of his memory he had formerly been deprived of his sight nevertheless on account of his eminence in confession he had with the others suffered the destruction of his foot by cauterization and although his sight had been destroyed he was subjected to the same burning with fire the executioners aiming after everything that was merciless and pitiless and cruel and inhuman since he was such a man one would not be so much astonished at his habits and his philosophic life nor would he seem so wonderful for them as for the strength of his memory for he had written whole books of the divine scriptures not in tables of stone as the divine apostle says neither on skins of animals nor on paper which moths and time destroy but truly in fleshy tables of the heart in a transparent soul and most pure eye of the mind so that whenever he wished he could repeat as if from a treasury of words any portion of the scripture whether in the law or the prophets or the historical books or the gospels or the writings of the apostles i confess that i was astonished when i first saw the man as he was standing in the midst of a large congregation and repeating portions of the divine scripture when i only heard his voice i thought that according to the custom in the meetings he was reading but when i came near and perceived what he was doing and observed all the others standing around him with sound eyes while he was using only the eyes of his mind and yet was speaking naturally like some prophet and far excelling those who were sound in body it was impossible for me not to glorify god and wonder and i seemed to see in those deeds evident and strong confirmation of the fact that true manhood consists not in excellence of bodily appearance but in the soul and understanding alone for he with his body mutilated manifested the superior excellence of the power that was within him but as to those whom we have mentioned as abiding in a separate place and attending to their customary duties in fasting and prayer and other exercises god himself saw fit to give them a salutary issue by extending his right hand in answer to them the bitter foe as they were armed against him zealously through their prayers to god could no longer endure them and determined to slay and destroy them from off the earth because they troubled him and god permitted him to accomplish this that he might not be restrained from the wickedness he desired and that at the same time they might receive the prizes of their manifold conflicts therefore at the command of the most accursed maximinus forty lacking one were beheaded in one day these martyrdoms were accomplished in palestine during eight complete years and of this description was the persecution in our time beginning with the demolition of the churches it increased greatly as the rulers rose up from time to time against us in these assaults the multiform and various conflicts of those who wrestled in behalf of religion produced an innumerable multitude of martyrs 
in every province in the regions extending from libya and throughout all egypt and syria and from the east round about to the district of illyricum but the countries beyond these all italy and sicily and gaul and the regions toward the setting sun in spain mauritania and africa suffered the war of persecution during less than two years and were deemed worthy of a speedier divine visitation and peace the heavenly providence sparing the singleness of purpose and faith of those men for what had never before been recorded in the annals of the roman government first took place in our day contrary to all expectation for during the persecution in our time the empire was divided into two parts the brethren dwelling in the part of which we have just spoken enjoyed peace but those in the other part endured trials without number but when the divine grace kindly and compassionately manifested its care for us too then truly our rulers also those very ones through whom the wars against us had been formerly carried on changed their minds in a most wonderful manner and published a recantation and by favorable edicts and mild decrees concerning us extinguished the conflagration against us this recantation also must be recorded end of the martyrs of palestine part three book nine part one of eusebius church history this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by david leeson church history by eusebius of caesarea translated by arthur cushman mcgifford book nine part one chapters one through eight Book Nine, Chapter One: The Pretended Relaxation. The imperial edict of recantation, which has been quoted above, was posted in all parts of Asia and in the adjoining provinces. After this had been done, Maximinus, the tyrant in the east, a most impious man if there ever was one, and most hostile to the religion of the God of the universe, being by no means satisfied with its contents instead of sending the above-quoted decree to the governors under him, gave them verbal commands to relax the war against us. For since he could not in any other way oppose the decision of his superiors, keeping the law which had been already issued secret, and taking care that it might not be made known in the district under him, he gave an unwritten order to his governors that they should relax the persecution against us they communicated the command to each other in writing. Sabinus, at least, who was honored with the highest official rank among them, communicated the will of the emperor to the provincial governors in a Latin epistle, the translation of which is as follows. With continuous and most devoted earnestness their majesties, our most divine masters, the emperors, formerly directed the minds of all men to follow the holy and correct course of life, that those also who seemed to live in a manner foreign to that of the Romans should render the worship due to the immortal gods. But the obstinacy and most unconquerable determination of some went so far that they could neither be turned back from their purpose by the just reason of the command, nor be intimidated by the impending punishment. 
since therefore it has come to pass that by such conduct many have brought themselves into danger their majesties our most powerful masters the emperors in the exalted nobility of piety esteeming it foreign to their majesty's purpose to bring men into so great danger for such a cause have commanded their devoted servant myself to write to thy wisdom that if any christian be found engaging in the worship of his own people thou shouldst abstain from molesting and endangering him and shouldst not suppose it necessary to punish any one on this pretext for it has been proved by the experience of so long a time that they can in no way be persuaded to abandon such obstinate conduct therefore it should be thy care to write to the curators and magistrates and district overseers of every city that they may know that it is not necessary for them to give further attention to this matter thereupon the rulers of the provinces thinking that the purpose of the things which were written was truly made known to them declared the imperial will to the curators and magistrates and prefects of the various districts in writing but they did not limit themselves to writing but sought more quickly to accomplish the supposed will of the emperor in deeds also those whom they had imprisoned on account of their confession of the deity they set at liberty and they released those of them who had been sent to the mines for punishment for they erroneously supposed that this was the true will of the emperor and when these things had thus been done immediately like a light shining forth in a dark night one could see in every city congregations gathered and assemblies thronged and meetings held according to their custom and every one of the unbelieving heathen was not a little astonished at these things wondering at so marvellous a transformation and exclaiming that the god of the christians was great and alone true and some of our people, who had faithfully and bravely sustained the conflict of persecution, again became frank and bold toward all, but as many as had been diseased in the faith and had been shaken in their souls by the tempest, strove eagerly for healing, beseeching and imploring the strong to stretch out to them a saving hand, and supplicating God to be merciful unto them then also the noble athletes of religion who had been set free from their sufferings in the mines returned to their own homes happily and joyfully they passed through every city full of unspeakable pleasure and of a boldness which cannot be expressed in words great crowds of men pursued their journey along the highways and through the market-places praising god with hymns and psalms and you might have seen those who a little while before had been driven in bonds from their native countries under a most cruel sentence returning with bright and joyful faces to their own firesides so that even they who had formerly thirsted for our blood when they saw the unexpected wonder congratulated us on what had taken place chapter two the subsequent reverse but the tyrant who as we have said ruled over the districts of the orient a thorough hater of the good and an enemy of every virtuous person as he was could no longer bear this and indeed he did not permit matters to go on in this way quite six months devising all possible means of destroying the peace he first attempted to restrain us under a pretext from meeting in the cemeteries then through the agency of some wicked men he sent an embassy to himself against us inciting the citizens of antioch to ask from him a very great favor that he would by no means permit any of the christians to dwell in their country and others were secretly induced to do the same thing 
The author of all this in Antioch was Theotechnus, a violent and wicked man, who was an impostor, and whose character was foreign to his name. He appears to have been the curator of the city. Chapter 3 The Newly Erected Statue at Antioch after this man had carried on all kinds of war against us and had caused our people to be diligently hunted up in their retreats as if they were unholy thieves and had devised every sort of slander and accusation against us and become the cause of death to vast numbers he finally erected a statue of jupiter Phileus with certain juggleries and magic rites and after inventing unholy forms of initiation and ill-omened mysteries in connection with it and abominable means of purification he exhibited his jugglery by oracles which he pretended to utter even to the emperor and through a flattery which was pleasing to the ruler he aroused the demon against the christians and said that the god had given command to expel the christians as his enemies beyond the confines of the city and the neighboring districts chapter four the memorials against us the fact that this man who took the lead in this matter had succeeded in his purpose was an incitement to all the other officials in the cities under the same government to prepare a similar memorial and the governors of the provinces perceiving that this was agreeable to the emperor suggested to their subjects that they should do the same and as the tyrant by a rescript declared himself well pleased with their measures persecution was kindled anew against us priests for the images were then appointed in the cities and besides them high priests by maximinus himself the latter were taken from among those who were most distinguished in public life and had gained celebrity in all the offices which they had filled and who were imbued moreover with great zeal for the service of those whom they worshipped indeed the extraordinary superstition of the emperor to speak in brief led all his subjects both rulers and private citizens for the sake of gratifying him to do everything against us supposing that they could best show their gratitude to him for the benefits which they had received from him by plotting murder against us and exhibiting toward us any new signs of malignity chapter five the forged acts having therefore forged acts of pilate and our saviour full of every kind of blasphemy against christ they sent them with the emperor's approval to the whole of the empire subject to him with written commands that they should be openly posted to the view of all in every place both in country and city and that the schoolmasters should give them to their scholars instead of their customary lessons to be studied and learned by heart while these things were taking place another military commander whom the romans called dukes seized some infamous women in the market-place at damascus in phoenicia and by threatening to inflict tortures upon them compelled them to make a written declaration that they had once been christians and that they were acquainted with their impious deeds that in very churches they committed licentious acts and they uttered as many other slanders against our religion as he wished them to having taken down their words in writing he communicated them to the emperor who commanded that the documents also should be published in every place and city chapter six those who suffered martyrdom at this time not long afterward however this military commander became his own murderer and paid the penalty for his wickedness but we were obliged again to endure exile and severe persecutions 
and the governors in every province were once more terribly stirred up against us so that even some of those illustrious in the divine word were seized and had sentence of death pronounced upon them without mercy three of them in the city of emisa in phoenicia having confessed that they were christians were thrown as food to the wild beasts among them was a bishop sylvanus a very old man who had filled his office full forty years at about the same time peter also who presided most illustriously over the parishes in alexandria a divine example of a bishop on account of the excellence of his life and his study of the sacred scriptures being seized for no cause and quite unexpectedly was as if by command of maximinus immediately and without explanation beheaded with him also many other bishops of egypt suffered the same fate and lucian a presbyter of the parish at antioch and a most excellent man in every respect temperate in life and famed for his learning in sacred things was brought to the city of nicomedia where at that time the emperor happened to be staying and after delivering before the ruler an apology for the doctrine which he professed was committed to prison and put to death such trials were brought upon us in a brief time by maximinus the enemy of virtue so that this persecution which was stirred up against us seemed far more cruel than the former chapter seven the decree against us which was engraved on pillars the memorials against us and copies of the imperial edicts issued in reply to them were engraved and set up on brazen pillars in the midst of the cities a course which had never been followed elsewhere the children in the schools had daily in their mouths the names of jesus and pilate and the acts which had been forged in wanton insolence it appears to me necessary to insert here this document of maximinus which was posted on pillars in order that there may be made manifest at the same time the boastful and haughty arrogance of the god-hating man and the sleepless evil-hating divine vengeance upon the impious which followed close upon him and under whose pressure he not long afterward took the opposite course in respect to us and confirmed it by written laws the rescript is in the following words copy of a translation of the rescript of maximinus in answer to the memorials against us taken from the pillar entire now at length the feeble power of the human mind has become able to shake off and to scatter every dark mist of error which before this besieged the senses of men who were more miserable than impious and enveloped them in dark and destructive ignorance and to perceive that it is governed and established by the beneficent providence of the immortal gods it passes belief how grateful how pleasing and how agreeable it is to us that you have given a most decided proof of your pious resolution for even before this it was known to every one how much regard and reverence you were paying to the immortal gods exhibiting not a faith of bare and empty words but continued and wonderful examples of illustrious deeds wherefore your city may justly be called a seat and dwelling of the immortal gods at least it appears by many signs that it flourishes because of the presence of the celestial gods behold therefore your city regardless of all private advantages and omitting its former petitions in its own behalf when it perceived that the adherents of that execrable vanity were again beginning to spread and to start the greatest conflagration 
like a neglected and extinguished funeral pyre when its brands are rekindled, immediately resorted to our piety as to a metropolis of all religiousness, asking some remedy and aid. It is evident that the gods have given you this saving mind on account of your faith and piety. Accordingly that supreme and mightiest Jove, who presides over your illustrious city, who preserves your ancestral gods, your wives and children, your hearths and homes from every destructive pest, has infused into your souls this wholesome resolve, showing and proving how excellent and glorious and salutary it is to observe with the becoming reverence the worship and sacred rites of the immortal gods. For who can be found so ignorant or so devoid of all understanding as not to perceive that it is due to the kindly care of the gods that the earth does not refuse the seed sown in it, nor disappoint the hope of the husbandmen with vain expectation, that impious war is not inevitably fixed upon earth, and wasted bodies dragged down to death under the influence of a corrupted atmosphere, that the sea is not swollen and raised on high by blasts of intemperate winds, that unexpected hurricanes do not burst forth and stir up the destructive tempest, moreover, that the earth, the nourisher and mother of all, is not shaken from its lowest depths with a terrible tremor, and that the mountains upon it do not sink into the opening chasms. No one is ignorant that all these, and evils still worse than these, have oftentimes happened hitherto. And all these misfortunes have taken place on account of the destructive error of the empty vanity of those impious men, when it prevailed in their souls, and, we may almost say, weighed down the whole world with shame. After other words he adds, let them look at the standing crops already flourishing with waving heads in the broad fields, and at the meadows glittering with plants and flowers, in response to abundant rains and the restored mildness and softness of the atmosphere. Finally, let all rejoice that the might of the most powerful and terrible Mars has been propitiated by our piety, our sacrifices, and our veneration, and let them on this account enjoy firm and tranquil peace and quiet and let as many as have wholly abandoned that blind error and delusion, and have returned to a right and sound mind, rejoice the more, as those who have been rescued from an unexpected storm or severe disease, and are to reap the fruits of pleasure for the rest of their life. But if they still persist in their execrable vanity, let them, as you have desired, be driven far away from your city and territory, that thus, in accordance with your praiseworthy zeal in this matter, your city, being freed from every pollution and impiety, may, according to its native disposition, attend to the sacred rites of the immortal gods with becoming reverence. But that ye may know how acceptable to us your request respecting this matter has been, and how ready our mind is to confer benefits voluntarily, without memorials and petitions, we permit your devotion to ask whatever great gift ye may desire in return for this your pious disposition. And now ask that this may be done, and that ye may receive it, for ye shall obtain it without delay. This, being granted to your city, shall furnish for all time an evidence of reverent piety toward the immortal gods, and of the fact that you have obtained from our benevolence merited prizes for this choice of yours, and it shall be shown to your children and children's children. This was published against us in all the provinces, 
depriving us of every hope of good at least from men so that according to that divine utterance if it were possible even the elect would have stumbled at these things and now indeed when the hope of most of us was almost extinct suddenly while those who were to execute against us the above decree had in some places scarcely finished their journey god the defender of his own church exhibited his heavenly interposition in our behalf well-nigh stopping the tyrant's boasting against us chapter eight the misfortunes which happened in connection with these things in famine pestilence and war the customary rains and showers of the winter season ceased to fall in their wonted abundance upon the earth and an unexpected famine made its appearance and in addition to this a pestilence and another severe disease consisting of an ulcer which on account of its fiery appearance was appropriately called a carbuncle this spreading over the whole body greatly endangered the lives of those who suffered from it but as it chiefly attacked the eyes it deprived multitudes of men women and children of their sight in addition to this the tyrant was compelled to go to war with the armenians who had been from ancient times friends and allies of the romans as they were also christians and zealous in their piety toward the deity the enemy of god had attempted to compel them to sacrifice to idols and demons and had thus made friends foes and allies enemies all these things suddenly took place at one and the same time and refuted the tyrant's empty vaunt against the deity for he had boasted that because of his zeal for idols and his hostility against us neither famine nor pestilence nor war had happened in his time these things therefore coming upon him at once and together furnished a prelude also of his own destruction he himself with his forces was defeated in the war with the armenians and the rest of the inhabitants of the cities under him were terribly afflicted with famine and pestilence so that one measure of wheat was sold for twenty-five hundred attic drachmas those who died in the cities were innumerable and those who died in the country and villages were still more so that the tax lists which formerly included a great rural population were almost entirely wiped out nearly all being speedily destroyed by famine and pestilence some therefore desired to dispose of their most precious things to those who were better supplied in return for the smallest morsel of food and others selling their possessions little by little fell into the last extremity of want some chewing wisps of hay and recklessly eating noxious herbs undermined and ruined their constitutions and some of the high-born women in the cities driven by want to shameful extremities went forth into the market-places to beg giving evidence of their former liberal culture by the modesty of their appearance and the decency of their apparel some wasted away like ghosts and at the very point of death stumbled and tottered here and there and too weak to stand fell down in the middle of the streets lying stretched out at full length they begged that a small morsel of food might be given them and with their last gasp they cried out hunger having strength only for this most painful cry but others who seemed to be better supplied astonished at the multitude of the beggars after giving away large quantities finally became hard and relentless expecting that they themselves also would soon suffer the same calamities as those who begged 
so that in the midst of the market-places and lanes dead and naked bodies lay unburied for many days, presenting the most lamentable spectacle to those that beheld them. Some also became food for dogs, on which account the survivors began to kill the dogs, lest they should become mad and should go to devouring men. But still worse was the pestilence which consumed entire houses and families, and especially those whom the famine was not able to destroy because of their abundance of food. Thus men of wealth, rulers and governors and multitudes in office, as if left by the famine on purpose for the pestilence, suffered swift and speedy death. Every place therefore was full of lamentation. In every lane and market-place and street there was nothing else to be seen or heard than tears, with the customary instruments and the voices of the mourners. In this way death, waging war with these two weapons, pestilence and famine, destroyed whole families in a short time, so that one could see two or three dead bodies carried out at once. Such were the rewards of the boasting of Maximinus, and of the measures of the cities against us. Then did the evidences of the universal zeal and piety of the Christians become manifest to all the heathen. For they alone, in the midst of such ills, showed their sympathy and humanity by their deeds. Every day some continued caring for and burying the dead, for there were multitudes who had no one to care for them. Others collected in one place those who were afflicted by the famine throughout the entire city, and gave bread to them all so that the thing became noised abroad among men, and they glorified the God of the Christians, and, convinced by the facts themselves, confessed that they alone were truly pious and religious. After these things were thus done, God, the great and celestial defender of the Christians, having revealed in the events which have been described his anger and indignation at all men for the great evils which they had brought upon us, restored to us the bright and gracious sunlight of his providence in our behalf, so that in the deepest darkness a light of peace shone most wonderfully upon us from him, and made it manifest to all that God himself has always been the ruler of our affairs. From time to time indeed he chastens his people and corrects them by his visitations, but again after sufficient chastisement he shows mercy and favor to those who hope in him. End of Book 9, Part 1。Book 9, Part 2 of Eusebius Church History。This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Leeson. Church History by Eusebius of Caesarea, translated by Arthur Cushman McGifford. Book 9, Part 2, Chapters 9 through 11. Chapter 9 The Victory of the God Beloved Emperors. Thus, when Constantine, whom we have already mentioned as an emperor, born of an emperor, a pious son of a most pious and prudent father, and Licinius, second to him, two god-beloved emperors, honored alike for their intelligence and their piety, being stirred up against the two most impious tyrants by God, the absolute ruler and savior of all, 
engaged in formal war against them with god as their ally maxentius was defeated at rome by constantine in a remarkable manner and the tyrant of the east did not long survive him but met a most shameful death at the hand of licinius who had not yet become insane constantine who was the superior both in dignity and imperial rank first took compassion upon those who were oppressed at rome and having invoked in prayer the god of heaven and his word and jesus christ himself the saviour of all as his aid advanced with his whole army proposing to restore to the romans their ancestral liberty but maxentius putting confidence rather in the arts of sorcery than in the devotion of his subjects did not dare to go forth beyond the gates of the city but fortified every place and district and town which was enslaved by him in the neighborhood of rome and in all italy with an immense multitude of troops and with innumerable bands of soldiers but the emperor relying upon the assistance of god attacked the first second and third army of the tyrant and conquered them all and having advanced through the greater part of italy was already very near rome then that he might not be compelled to wage war with the romans for the sake of the tyrant god himself drew the latter as if bound in chains some distance without the gates and confirmed those threats against the impious which had been anciently inscribed in sacred books disbelieved indeed by most as a myth but believed by the faithful confirmed them in a word by the deed itself to all both believers and unbelievers that saw the wonder with their eyes thus as in the time of moses himself and of the ancient god-beloved race of hebrews he cast pharaoh's chariots and host into the sea and overwhelmed his chosen charioteers in the red sea and covered them with the flood in the same way maxentius also with his soldiers and bodyguards went down into the depths like a stone when he fled before the power of god which was with constantine and passed through the river which lay in his way over which he had formed a bridge with boats and thus prepared the means of his own destruction in regard to him one might say he digged a pit and opened it and fell into the hole which he had made his labor shall turn upon his own head and his unrighteousness shall fall upon his own crown thus then the bridge over the river being broken the passageway settled down and immediately the boats with the men disappeared in the depths and that most impious one himself first of all then the shield-bearers who were with him as the divine oracles foretold sank like lead in the mighty waters so that those who obtained the victory from god if not in words at least in deeds like moses the great servant of god and those who were with him fittingly sang as they had sung against the impious tyrant of old saying let us sing unto the lord for he hath gloriously glorified himself horse and rider hath he thrown into the sea a helper and a protector hath he become for my salvation and who is like unto thee o lord among the gods who is like unto thee glorious in holiness marvellous in glory doing wonders these and the like praises constantine by his very deeds sang to god the universal ruler and author of his victory as he entered rome in triumph immediately all the members of the senate and the other most celebrated men with the whole roman people together with children and women received him as their deliverer their saviour and their benefactor 
with shining eyes and with their whole souls, with shouts of gladness and unbounded joy. But he, as one possessed of inborn piety toward God, did not exult in the shouts, nor was he elated by the praises, but perceiving that his aid was from God, he immediately commanded that a trophy of the Saviour's passion be put in the hand of his own statue. And when he had placed it, with the saving sign of the cross in its right hand, in the most public place in Rome, he commanded that the following inscription should be engraved upon it in the Roman tongue, by this salutary sign, the true proof of bravery, I have saved and freed your city from the yoke of the tyrant, and moreover, having set at liberty both the senate and the people of Rome, I have restored them to their ancient distinction and splendor. And after this both Constantine himself and with him the emperor Licinius, who had not yet been seized by that madness into which he later fell, praising God as the author of all their blessings, with one will and mind drew up a full and most complete decree in behalf of the Christians, and sent an account of the wonderful things done for them by God, and of the victory over the tyrant, together with a copy of the decree itself, to Maximinus, who still ruled over the nations of the East, and pretended friendship toward them. But he, like a tyrant, was greatly pained by what he learned, but not wishing to seem to yield to others, nor, on the other hand, to suppress that which was commanded, for fear of those who enjoined it, as if on his own authority he addressed, under compulsion, to the governors under him, this first communication in behalf of the Christians, falsely inventing things against himself which had never been done by him. Copy of a Translation of the Epistle of the Tyrant Maximinus Jovius Maximinus Augustus to Sabinus. I am confident that it is manifest both to thy firmness and to all men that our masters Diocletian and Maximianus, our fathers, when they saw almost all men abandoning the worship of the gods and attaching themselves to the party of the Christians, rightly decreed that all who gave up the worship of those same immortal gods should be recalled by open chastisement and punishment to the worship of the gods. But when I first came to the East under favorable auspices, and learned that in some places a great many men who were able to render public service had been banished by the judges for the above-mentioned cause, I gave command to each of the judges that henceforth none of them should treat the provincials with severity, but that they should rather recall them to the worship of the gods by flattery and exhortations. Then when, in accordance with my command, these orders were obeyed by the judges, it came to pass that none of those who lived in the districts of the east were banished or insulted, but that they were rather brought back to the worship of the gods by the fact that no severity was employed toward them. But afterwards, when I went up last year under good auspices to Nicomedia and sojourned there, citizens of the same city came to me with the images of the gods, earnestly entreating that such a people should by no means be permitted to dwell in their country. But when I learned that many men of the same religion dwelt in those regions, I replied that I gladly thanked them for their request, but that I perceived that it was not proffered by all, and that if, therefore, there were any that persevered in the same superstition, each one had the privilege of doing as he pleased, even if he wished to recognize the worship of the gods. 
nevertheless i considered it necessary to give a friendly answer to the inhabitants of nicomedia and to the other cities which had so earnestly presented to me the same petition namely that no christians should dwell in their cities both because this same course had been pursued by all the ancient emperors and also because it was pleasing to the gods through whom all men and the government of the state itself endure and to confirm the request which they presented in behalf of the worship of their deity therefore although before this time special letters have been sent to thy devotedness and commands have likewise been given that no harsh measures should be taken against those provincials who desire to follow such a course but that they should be treated mildly and moderately nevertheless in order that they may not suffer insults or extortions from the beneficiaries or from any others i have thought meet to remind thy firmness in this epistle also that thou shouldst lead our provincials rather by flatteries and exhortations to recognize the care of the gods hence if any one of his own choice should decide to adopt the worship of the gods it is fitting that he should be welcomed but if any should wish to follow their own religion do thou leave it in their power wherefore it behooves thy devotedness to observe that which is committed to thee and to see that power is given to no one to oppress our provincials with insults and extortions since as already written it is fitting to recall our provincials to the worship of the gods rather by exhortations and flatteries but in order that this command of ours may come to the knowledge of all our provincials it is incumbent upon thee to proclaim that which has been enjoined in an edict issued by thyself since he was forced to do this by necessity and did not give the command by his own will he was not regarded by any one as sincere or trustworthy because he had already shown his unstable and deceitful disposition after his former similar concession none of our people therefore ventured to hold meetings or even to appear in public because his communication did not cover this but only commanded to guard against doing us any injury and did not give orders that we should hold meetings or build churches or perform any of our customary acts and yet constantine and licinius the advocates of peace and piety had written him to permit this and had granted it to all their subjects by edicts and ordinances but this most impious man did not choose to yield in this matter until being driven by the divine judgment he was at last compelled to do it against his will chapter ten the overthrow of the tyrants and the words which they uttered before their death the circumstances which drove him to this course were the following being no longer able to sustain the magnitude of the government which had been undeservedly committed to him in consequence of his want of prudence and imperial understanding he managed affairs in a base manner and with his mind unreasonably exalted in all things with boastful pride even toward his colleagues in the empire who were every respect his superiors in birth in training in education in worth and intelligence and greatest of all in temperance and piety toward the true god he began to venture to act audaciously and to arrogate to himself the first rank becoming mad in his folly he broke the treaties which he had made with licinius and undertook an implacable war then in a brief time he threw all things into confusion and stirred up every city and having collected his entire force comprising an immense number of soldiers 
he went forth to battle with him, elated by his hopes in demons, whom he supposed to be gods, and by the number of his soldiers. And when he joined battle, he was deprived of the oversight of God, and the victory was given to Licinius, who was then ruling by the one and only God of all. First the army in which he trusted was destroyed, and as all his guards abandoned him and left him alone, and fled to the victor, he secretly divested himself as quickly as possible of the imperial garments which did not fitly belong to him, and in a cowardly and ignoble and unmanly way mingled with the crowd, and then fled, concealing himself in fields and villages. But though he was so careful for his safety, he scarcely escaped the hands of his enemies, revealing by his deeds that the divine oracles are faithful and true, in which it is said, A king is not saved by a great force, and a giant shall not be saved by the greatness of his strength. A horse is a vain thing for safety, nor shall he be delivered by the greatness of his power. Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their souls from death. Thus the tyrant, covered with shame, went to his own country. And first, in frantic rage, he slew many priests and prophets of the gods whom he had formerly admired, and whose oracles had incited him to undertake the war, as sorcerers and impostors, and besides all as betrayers of his safety. Then, having given glory to the god of the Christians, and enacted a most full and complete ordinance in behalf of their liberty, he was immediately seized with a mortal disease, and no respite being granted him, departed this life. The law enacted by him was as follows. Copy of the Edict of the Tyrant in behalf of the Christians, translated from the Roman tongue. The Emperor Caesar Caius Valerius Maximinus, Germanicus, Sarmaticus, Pius, Felix, Invictus, Augustus. We believe it manifest that no one is ignorant, but that every man who looks back over the past and knows and is conscious that in every way we care continually for the good of our provincials, and wish to furnish them with those things which are of especial advantage to all, and for the common benefit and profit, and whatever contributes to the public welfare and is agreeable to the views of each. When, therefore, before this, it became clear to our mind that under pretext of the command of our parents, the most divine Diocletian and Maximianus, which enjoined that the meetings of the Christians should be abolished, many extortions and spoliations had been practiced by officials, and that those evils were continually increasing, to the detriment of our provincials toward whom we are especially anxious to exercise proper care, and that their possessions were in consequence perishing, letters were sent last year to the governors of each province, in which we decreed that, if any one wished to follow such a practice or to observe this same religion, he should be permitted without hindrance to pursue his purpose, and should be impeded and prevented by no one, and that all should have liberty to do without any fear or suspicion that which each preferred. But even now we cannot help perceiving that some of the judges have mistaken our commands, and have given our people reason to doubt the meaning of our ordinances, and have caused them to proceed too reluctantly to the observance of those religious rites which are pleasing to them. In order, therefore, that in the future every suspicion of fearful doubt may be taken away, 
we have commanded that this decree be published so that it may be clear to all that whoever wishes to embrace this sect and religion is permitted to do so by virtue of this grant of ours and that each one as he wishes or as is pleasing to him is permitted to practice this religion which he has chosen to observe according to his custom it is also granted them to build lords houses but that this grant of ours may be the greater we have thought good to decree also that if any houses and lands before this time rightfully belonged to the christians and by the command of our parents fell into the treasury or were confiscated by any city whether they have been sold or presented to any one as a gift that all these should be restored to their original possessors the christians in order that in this also every one may have knowledge of our piety and care these are the words of the tyrant which were published not quite a year after the decrees against the christians engraved by him on pillars and by him to whom a little before we seemed impious wretches and atheists and destroyers of all life so that we were not permitted to dwell in any city nor even in country or desert by him decrees and ordinances were issued in behalf of the christians and they who recently had been destroyed by fire and sword by wild beasts and birds of prey in the presence of the tyrant himself and had suffered every species of torture and punishment and most miserable deaths as atheists and impious wretches were now acknowledged by him as possessors of religion and were permitted to build churches and the tyrant himself bore witness and confessed that they had some rights and having made such confessions as if he had received some benefit on account of them he suffered perhaps less than he ought to have suffered and being smitten by a sudden scourge of god he perished in the second campaign of the war but his end was not like that of military chieftains who while fighting bravely in battle for virtue and friends often boldly encounter a glorious death for like an impious enemy of god while his army was still drawn up in the field remaining at home and concealing himself he suffered the punishment which he deserved for he was smitten with a sudden scourge of god in his whole body and harassed by terrible pains and torments he fell prostrate on the ground wasted by hunger while all his flesh was dissolved by an invisible and god-sent fire so that the whole appearance of his frame was changed and there was left only a kind of image wasted away by length of time to a skeleton of dry bones so that those who were present could think of his body as nothing else than the tomb of his soul which was buried in a body already dead and completely melted away and as the heat still more violently consumed him in the depths of his marrow his eyes burst forth and falling from their sockets left him blind thereupon still breathing and making free confession to the lord he invoked death and at last after acknowledging that he justly suffered these things on account of his violence against christ he gave up the ghost chapter eleven the final destruction of the enemies of religion thus when maximinus who alone had remained of the enemies of religion and had appeared the worst of them all was put out of the way the renovation of the churches from their foundations was begun by the grace of god the ruler of all and the word of christ shining unto the glory of the god of the universe obtained greater freedom than before while the impious enemies of religion were covered with extremest shame and dishonor 
for maximinus himself being first pronounced by the emperors a common enemy was declared by public proclamations to be a most impious execrable and god-hating tyrant and of the portraits which had been set up in every city in honor of him or of his children some were thrown down from their places to the ground and torn in pieces while the faces of others were obliterated by daubing them with black paint and the statues which had been erected to his honor were likewise overthrown and broken and lay exposed to the laughter and sport of those who wished to insult and abuse them then also all the honors of the other enemies of religion were taken away and all those who sided with maximinus were slain especially those who had been honored by him with high offices in reward for their flattery and had behaved insolently toward our doctrine such an one was pusetius the dearest of his companions who had been honored and rewarded by him above all who had been consul a second and third time and had been appointed by him chief minister and culcianus who had likewise advanced through every grade of office and was also celebrated for his numberless executions of christians in egypt and besides these not a few others by whose agency especially the tyranny of maximinus had been confirmed and extended and theotechnus also was summoned by justice which by no means overlooked his deeds against the christians for when the statue had been set up by him at antioch he appeared to be in the happiest state and was already made a governor by maximinus but licinius coming down to the city of antioch made a search for impostors and tortured the prophets and priests of the newly erected statue asking them for what reason they practised their deception they under the stress of torture were unable longer to conceal the matter and declared that the whole deceptive mystery had been devised by the art of theotechnus therefore after meeting out to all of them just judgment he first put theotechnus himself to death and then his confederates in the imposture with the severest possible tortures to all these were added also the children of maximinus whom he had already made sharers in the imperial dignity by placing their names on tablets and statues and the relatives of the tyrant who before had been boastful and had in their pride oppressed all men suffered the same punishments with those who have been already mentioned as well as the extremest disgrace for they had not received instruction neither did they know and understand the exhortation given in the holy word put not your trust in princes nor in the sons of men in whom there is no salvation his spirit shall go forth and return to his earth in that day all their thoughts perish the impious ones having been thus removed the government was preserved firm and undisputed for constantine and licinius to whom it fittingly belonged they having first of all cleansed the world of hostility to the divine being conscious of the benefits which he had conferred upon them showed their love of virtue and of god and their piety and gratitude to the deity by their ordinance in behalf of the christians end of book nine part two Book Ten, Part One of Eusebius Church History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Leeson.
Church History by Eusebius of Caesarea, translated by Arthur Cushman McGifford. Book 10, Part 1, Chapter 1 through Chapter 4, Paragraph 35. Book 10, Chapter 1, The Peace Granted Us by God. Thanks for all things be given unto God the Omnipotent Ruler and King of the Universe, and the greatest thanks to Jesus Christ the Saviour and Redeemer of our souls, through whom we pray that peace may be always preserved for us firm and undisturbed by external troubles and by troubles of the mind. Since in accordance with thy wishes, my most holy Paulinus, we have added the tenth book of the church history to those which have preceded, we will inscribe it to thee, proclaiming thee as the seal of the whole work, and we will fitly add in a perfect number the perfect panegyric upon the restoration of the churches, obeying the divine spirit, which exhorts us in the following words, Sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath saved him. The Lord hath made known his salvation, his righteousness hath he revealed in the presence of the nations. And in accordance with the utterance which commands us to sing the new song, let us proceed to show that, after those terrible and gloomy spectacles which we have described, we are now permitted to see and celebrate such things as many truly righteous men and martyrs of God before us desired to see upon earth and did not see, and to hear and did not hear. But they, hastening on, obtained far better things, being carried to heaven and the paradise of divine pleasure. But acknowledging that even these things are greater than we deserve, we have been astonished at the grace manifested by the author of the great gifts, and rightly do we admire him, worshipping him with the whole power of our souls, and testifying to the truth of those recorded utterances, in which it is said, Come and see the works of the Lord, the wonders which he hath done upon the earth. He removeth wars to the ends of the world. He shall break the bow and snap the spear in sunder, and shall burn the shields with fire. Rejoicing in these things which have been clearly fulfilled in our day, let us proceed with our account. The whole race of God's enemies was destroyed in the manner indicated, and was thus suddenly swept from the sight of men. So that again a divine utterance had its fulfillment, I have seen the impious highly exalted and raising himself like the cedars of Lebanon, and I have passed by, and behold, he was not, and I have sought his place, and it could not be found. And finally a bright and splendid day, overshadowed by no cloud, illuminated with beams of heavenly light the churches of Christ throughout the entire world, and not even those without our communion were prevented from sharing in the same blessings, or at least from coming under their influence and enjoying a part of the benefits bestowed upon us by God. Chapter 2. The Restoration of the Churches all men, then, were freed from the oppression of the tyrants, and being released from the former ills, one in one way and another in another, acknowledged the defender of the pious to be the only true God. And we especially who placed our hopes in the Christ of God had unspeakable gladness, and a certain inspired joy bloomed for all of us, when we saw every place which shortly before had been desolated by the impieties of the tyrants reviving as if from a long and death-fraught pestilence, 
and temples again rising from their foundations to an immense height and receiving a splendor far greater than that of the old ones which had been destroyed but the supreme rulers also confirmed to us still more extensively the munificence of god by repeated ordinances in behalf of the christians and personal letters of the emperor were sent to bishops with honors and gifts of money it may not be unfitting to insert these documents translated from the roman into the greek tongue at the proper place in this book as in a sacred tablet that they may remain as a memorial to all who shall come after us chapter three the dedications in every place after this was seen the site which had been desired and prayed for by us all feasts of dedication in the cities and consecrations of the newly built houses of prayer took place bishops assembled foreigners came together from abroad mutual love was exhibited between people and people the members of christ's body were united in complete harmony then was fulfilled the prophetic utterance which mystically foretold what was to take place bone to bone and joint to joint and whatever was truly announced in enigmatic expressions in the inspired passage and there was one energy of the divine spirit pervading all the members and one soul in all and the same eagerness of faith and one hymn from all in praise of the deity yea and perfect services were conducted by the prelates the sacred rites being solemnized and the majestic institutions of the church observed here with the singing of psalms and with the reading of the words committed to us by god and there with the performance of divine and mystic services and the mysterious symbols of the saviour's passion were dispensed at the same time people of every age both male and female with all the power of the mind gave honor unto god the author of their benefits in prayers and thanksgiving with a joyful mind and soul and every one of the bishops present each to the best of his ability delivered panegyric orations adding lustre to the assembly chapter four panegyric on the splendor of affairs a certain one of those of moderate talent who had composed a discourse stepped forward in the presence of many pastors who were assembled as if for a church gathering and while they attended quietly and decently he addressed himself as follows to one who was in all things a most excellent bishop and beloved of god through whose zeal the temple in tyre which was the most splendid in phoenicia had been erected panegyric upon the building of the churches addressed to paulinus bishop of tyre friends and priests of god who are clothed in the sacred gown and adorned with the heavenly crown of glory the inspired unction and the sacerdotal garment of the holy spirit and thou o pride of god's new holy temple endowed by him with the wisdom of age and yet exhibiting costly works and deeds of youthful and flourishing virtue to whom god himself who embraces the entire world has granted the distinguished honor of building and renewing this earthly house to christ his only begotten and first-born word and to his holy and divine bride one might call thee a new bezaleel the architect of a divine tabernacle or solomon king of a new and much better jerusalem or also a new zerubbabel who added a much greater glory than the former to the temple of god 
And you also, O nurslings of the sacred flock of Christ, habitation of good works, school of wisdom, and august and pious auditory of religion, it was long ago permitted us to raise hymns and songs to God, when we learned from hearing the divine scriptures read the marvelous signs of God, and the benefits conferred upon men by the Lord's wondrous deeds, being taught to say, O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us the work which thou didst in their days, in days of old. But now, as we no longer perceive the lofty arm and the celestial right hand of our all-gracious God and universal King, by hearsay merely or report, but observe so to speak in very deed and with our own eyes, that the declarations recorded long ago are faithful and true, it is permitted us to raise a second hymn of triumph, and to sing with loud voice, and say, As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God. And in what city but in this newly built and God-constructed one, which is a church of the living God, a pillar and foundation of the truth, concerning which also another divine oracle thus proclaims, glorious things have been spoken of thee, O city of God, since the all-gracious God has brought us together to it, through the grace of his only begotten, let every one of those who have been summoned sing with loud voice and say, I was glad when they said unto me, We shall go unto the house of the Lord, and, Lord, I have loved the beauty of thy house and the place where thy glory dwelleth. And let us not only one by one, but all together, with one spirit and one soul, honor him and cry aloud, saying, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in his holy mountain. For he is truly great, and great is his house, lofty and spacious and comely in beauty above the sons of men. Great is the Lord, who alone doeth wonderful things. Great is he who doeth great things and things past finding out, glorious and marvelous things which cannot be numbered. Great is he who changeth times and seasons." who exalteth and debaseth kings, who raiseth up the poor from the earth, and lifteth up the needy from the dunghill. He hath put down princes from their thrones, and hath exalted them of low degree from the earth. The hungry he hath filled with good things, and the arms of the proud he hath broken. Not only to the faithful, but also to unbelievers, has he confirmed the record of ancient events, he that worketh miracles, he that doeth great things, the master of all, the creator of the whole world, the omnipotent, the all-merciful, the one and only God. To him let us sing the new song, supplying in thought, to him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever, to him which smote great kings, and slew famous kings, for his mercy endureth forever. For the Lord remembered us in our low estate and delivered us from our adversaries. And let us never cease to cry aloud in these words to the Father of the universe, and let us always honor him with our mouth, who is the second cause of our benefits, the instructor in divine knowledge, the teacher of the true religion, the destroyer of the impious, the slayer of tyrants, the reformer of life, Jesus, the Savior of us who were in despair. For he alone, as the only all-gracious son of an all-gracious father, in accordance with the purpose of his father's benevolence, has willingly put on the nature of us who lay prostrate in corruption, and like some excellent physician, 
who for the sake of saving them that are ill examines their sufferings handles their foul sores and reaps pain for himself from the miseries of another so us who were not only diseased and afflicted with terrible ulcers and wounds already mortified but were even lying among the dead he hath saved for himself from the very jaws of death for none other of those in heaven had such a power as without harm to minister to the salvation of so many but he alone having reached our deep corruption he alone having taken upon himself our labors he alone having suffered the punishments due for our impieties having recovered us who were not half dead merely but were already in tombs and sepulchres and altogether foul and offensive saves us both anciently and now by his beneficent zeal beyond the expectation of any one even of ourselves and imparts liberally of the father's benefits he who is the giver of life and light our great physician and king and lord the christ of god for then when the whole human race lay buried in gloomy night and in depths of darkness through the deceitful arts of guilty demons and the power of god-hating spirits by his simple appearing he loosed once for all the fast-bound cords of our impieties by the rays of his light even as wax is melted but when malignant envy and the evil-loving demon well-nigh burst with anger at such grace and kindness and turned against us all his death-dealing forces and when at first like a dog gone mad which gnashes his teeth at the stones thrown at him and pours out his rage against his assailants upon the inanimate missiles he levelled his ferocious madness at the stones of the sanctuaries and at the lifeless material of the houses and desolated the churches at least as he supposed and then emitted terrible hissings and snake-like sounds now by the threats of impious tyrants and again by the blasphemous edicts of profane rulers vomiting forth death moreover and infecting with his deleterious and soul-destroying poisons the souls captured by him and almost slaying them by his death-fraught sacrifices of dead idols and causing every beast in the form of man and every kind of savage to assault us then indeed the angel of the great council the great captain of god after the mightiest soldiers of his kingdom had displayed sufficient exercise through patience and endurance in everything suddenly appeared anew and blotted out and annihilated his enemies and foes so that they seemed never to have had even a name but his friends and relatives he raised to the highest glory in the presence not only of all men but also of celestial powers of sun and moon and stars and of the whole heaven and earth so that now as has never happened before the supreme rulers conscious of the honor which they have received from him spit upon the faces of dead idols trample upon the unhallowed rites of demons make sport of the ancient delusion handed down from their fathers and acknowledge only one god the common benefactor of all themselves included and they confess christ the son of god universal king of all and proclaim him saviour on monuments imperishably recording in imperial letters in the midst of the city which rules over the earth his righteous deeds and his victories over the impious thus jesus christ our saviour is the only one from all eternity who has been acknowledged even by those highest in the earth 
not as a common king among men but as a trite son of the universal god and who has been worshipped as very god and that rightly for what king that ever lived attained such virtue as to fill the ears and tongues of all men upon earth with his own name what king after ordaining such pious and wise laws has extended them from one end of the earth to the other so that they are perpetually read in the hearing of all men who has abrogated barbarous and savage customs of uncivilized nations by his gentle and most philanthropic laws who being attacked for entire ages by all has shown such superhuman virtue as to flourish daily and remain young throughout his life who has founded a nation which of old was not even heard of but which now is not concealed in some corner of the earth but is spread abroad everywhere under the sun who has so fortified his soldiers with the arms of piety that their souls being firmer than adamant shine brilliantly in the contests with their opponents what king prevails to such an extent and even after death leads on his soldiers and sets up trophies over his enemies and fills every place country and city greek and barbarian with his royal dwellings even divine temples with their consecrated oblations like this very temple with its superb adornments and votive offerings which are themselves so truly great and majestic worthy of wonder and admiration and clear signs of the sovereignty of our saviour for now too he spake and they were made he commanded and they were created for what was there to resist the nod of the universal king and governor and word of god himself a special discourse would be needed accurately to survey and explain all this and also to describe how great the zeal of the laborers is regarded by him who is celebrated as divine who looks upon the living temple which we all constitute and surveys the house composed of living and moving stones which is well and surely built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets the chief cornerstone being jesus christ himself who has been rejected not only by the builders of that ancient building which no longer stands but also by the builders evil architects of evil works of the structure which is composed of the mass of men and still endures but the father has approved him both then and now and has made him the head of the corner of this our common church who that beholds this living temple of the living god formed of ourselves this greatest and truly divine sanctuary i say whose inmost shrines are invisible to the multitude and are truly holy and a holy of holies would venture to declare it who is able even to look within the sacred enclosure except the great high priest of all to whom alone it is permitted to fathom the mysteries of every rational soul but perhaps it is granted to another to one only to be second after him in the same work namely to the commander of this army whom the first and great high priest himself has honored with the second place in this sanctuary the shepherd of your divine flock who has obtained your people by the allotment and the judgment of the father as if he had appointed him his own servant and interpreter a new aaron or melchizedek made like the son of god remaining and continually preserved by him in accordance with the united prayers of all of you to him therefore alone let it be granted if not in the first place at least in the second after the first and greatest high priest to observe and supervise the inmost state of your souls 
to him who by experience and length of time has accurately proved each one and who by his zeal and care has disposed you all in pious conduct and doctrine and is better able than any one else to give an account adequate to the facts of those things which he himself has accomplished with the divine assistance as to our first and great high priest it is said whatsoever he seeth the father doing those things likewise the son also doeth so also this one looking up to him as to the first teacher with pure eyes of the mind using as archetypes whatsoever things he seeth him doing produceth images of them making them so far as is possible in the same likeness in nothing inferior to that bezaleel whom god himself filled with the spirit of wisdom and understanding and with other technical and scientific knowledge and called to be the maker of the temple constructed after heavenly types given in symbols thus this one also bearing in his own soul the image of the whole christ the word the wisdom the light has formed this magnificent temple of the highest god corresponding to the pattern of the greater as a visible to an invisible it is impossible to say with what greatness of soul with what wealth and liberality of mind and with what emulation on the part of all of you shown in the magnanimity of the contributors who have ambitiously striven in no way to be left behind by him in the execution of the same purpose and this place for this deserves to be mentioned first of all which had been covered with all sorts of rubbish by the artifices of our enemies he did not overlook nor did he yield to the wickedness of those who had brought about that condition of things although he might have chosen some other place for many other sites were available in the city where he would have had less labor and been free from trouble but having first aroused himself to the work and then strengthened the whole people with zeal and formed them all into one great body he fought the first contest for he thought that this church which had been especially besieged by the enemy which had first suffered and endured the same persecutions with us and for us like a mother bereft of her children should rejoice with us in the signal favor of the all-merciful god for when the great shepherd had driven away the wild animals and wolves and every cruel and savage beast and as the divine oracles say had broken the jaws of the lions he thought good to collect again her children in the same place and in the most righteous manner he set up the fold of her flock to put to shame the enemy and avenger and to refute the impious daring of the enemies of god and now they are not the haters of god for they never were after they had troubled and been troubled for a little time they suffered the fitting punishment and brought themselves and their friends and their relatives to total destruction so that the declarations inscribed of old in sacred records have been proved true by facts in these declarations the divine word truly says among other things the following concerning them the wicked have drawn out the sword they have bent their bow to slay the righteous in heart let their sword enter into their own heart and their bows be broken and again their memorial is perished with a sound and their name hast thou blotted out for ever and ever for when they also were in trouble they cried out and there was none to save unto the lord and he heard them not but their feet were bound together and they fell but we have arisen and stand upright 
and that which was announced beforehand in these words o lord in thy city thou shalt set at naught their image has been shown to be true to the eyes of all but having waged war like the giants against god they died in this way but she that was desolate and rejected by men received the consummation which we behold in consequence of her patience toward god so that the prophecy of isaiah was spoken of her rejoice thirsty desert let the desert rejoice and blossom as the lily and the desert places shall blossom and be glad be strengthened ye weak hands and feeble knees be of good courage ye feeble-hearted in your minds be strong fear not behold our god recompenseth judgment and will recompense he will come and save us for he says in the wilderness water has broken out and a pool in thirsty ground and the dry land shall be watered meadows and in the thirsty ground there shall be springs of water these things which were prophesied long ago have been recorded in sacred books but no longer are they transmitted to us by hearsay merely but in facts this desert this dry land this widowed and deserted one whose gates they cut down with axes like wood in a forest whom they broke down with hatchet and hammer whose books also they destroyed burning with fire the sanctuary of god and profaning unto the ground the habitation of his name whom all that passed by upon the way plucked and whose fences they broke down whom the boar out of the wood ravaged and on which the savage wild beast fed now by the wonderful power of christ when he wills it has become like a lily for at that time also she was chastened at his nod as by a careful father for whom the lord loveth he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth then after being chastened in a measure according to the necessities of the case she is commanded to rejoice anew and she blossoms as a lily and exhales her divine odour among all men for it is said water hath broken out in the wilderness the fountain of the saving bath of divine regeneration and now she who a little before was a desert has become watered meadows and springs of water have gushed forth in a thirsty land the hands which before were weak have become truly strong and these works are great and convincing proofs of strong hands the knees also which before were feeble and infirm recovering their wanted strength are moving straight forward in the path of divine knowledge and hastening to the kindred flock of the all-gracious shepherd and if there are any whose souls have been stupefied by the threats of the tyrants not even they are passed by as incurable by the saving word but he heals them also and urges them on to receive divine comfort saying be ye comforted ye who are faint-hearted be ye strengthened fear not end of book ten part one Book Ten, Part Two of Eusebius Church History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Leeson. Church History by Eusebius of Caesarea. Translated by Arthur Cushman McGifford. Book Ten, Part Two, 
Chapter 4, Paragraph 36 through Chapter 5 This, our new and excellent Zerubbabel, having heard the word which announced beforehand that she who had been made a desert on account of God should enjoy these things, after the bitter captivity and the abomination of desolation, did not overlook the dead body, but first of all with prayers and supplications propitiated the Father with the common consent of all of you, and invoking the only one that giveth life to the dead as his ally and fellow-worker, raised her that was fallen, after purifying and freeing her from her ills. And he clothed her not with the ancient garment, but with such an one as he had again learned from the sacred oracles, which say clearly, and the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. Thus, enclosing a much larger space, he fortified the outer court with a wall surrounding the whole, which should serve as a most secure bulwark for the entire edifice. And he raised and spread out a great and lofty vestibule toward the rays of the rising sun, and furnished those standing far without the sacred enclosure a full view of those within, almost turning the eyes of those who were strangers to the faith to the entrances, so that no one could pass by without being impressed by the memory of the former desolation and of the present incredible transformation. His hope was that such an one being impressed by this might be attracted and be induced to enter by the very sight. But when one comes within the gates, he does not permit him to enter the sanctuary immediately, with impure and unwashed feet, but leaving as large a space as possible between the temple and the outer entrance, he has surrounded and adorned it with four transverse cloisters, making a quadrangular space with pillars rising on every side, which he has joined with lattice-work screens of wood, rising to a suitable height, and he has left an open space in the middle, so that the sky can be seen, and the free air bright in the rays of the sun. Here he has placed symbols of sacred purifications, setting up fountains opposite the temple which furnish an abundance of water wherewith those who come within the sanctuary may purify themselves. This is the first halting place of those who enter, and it furnishes at the same time a beautiful and splendid scene to every one, and to those who still need elementary instruction a fitting station. But passing by this spectacle, he has made open entrances to the temple with many other vestibules within, placing three doors on one side, likewise facing the rays of the sun. The one in the middle, adorned with plates of bronze, iron-bound, and beautifully embossed, he has made much higher and broader than the others, as if he were making them guards for it as for a queen. In the same way, arranging the number of vestibules for the corridors on each side of the whole temple, he has made above them various openings into the building, for the purpose of admitting more light, adorning them with very fine wood-carving. But the royal house he has furnished with more beautiful and splendid materials, using unstinted liberality in his disbursements. It seems to me superfluous to describe here in detail the length and breadth of the building, its splendor and its majesty surpassing description, and the brilliant appearance of the work, its lofty pinnacles reaching to the heavens, and the costly cedars of Lebanon above them, which the divine oracle has not omitted to mention, saying, The trees of the Lord shall rejoice, and the cedars of Lebanon which he hath planted. 
why need i now describe the skilful architectural arrangement and the surpassing beauty of each part when the testimony of the eye renders instruction through the ear superfluous for when he had thus completed the temple he provided it with lofty thrones in honor of those who preside and in addition with seats arranged in proper order throughout the whole building and finally placed in the middle the holy of holies the altar and that it might be inaccessible to the multitude enclosed it with wooden lattice-work accurately wrought with artistic carving presenting a wonderful sight to the beholders and not even the pavement was neglected by him for this too he adorned with beautiful marble of every variety then finally he passed on to the parts without the temple providing spacious exedrae and buildings on each side which were joined to the basilica and communicated with the entrances to the interior of the structure these were erected by our most peaceful solomon the maker of the temple of god for those who still needed purification and sprinkling by water and the holy spirit so that the prophecy quoted above is no longer a word merely but a fact for now it has also come to pass that in truth the latter glory of this house is greater than the former for it was necessary and fitting that as her shepherd and lord had once tasted death for her and after his suffering had changed that vile body which he assumed in her behalf into a splendid and glorious body leaving the very flesh which had been delivered from corruption to incorruption she too should enjoy the dispensations of the saviour for having received from him the promise of much greater things than these she desires to share uninterruptedly throughout eternity with the choir of the angels of light in the far greater glory of regeneration in the resurrection of an incorruptible body in the palace of god beyond the heavens with christ jesus himself the universal benefactor and saviour but for the present she that was formerly widowed and desolate is clothed by the grace of god with these flowers and is become truly like a lily as the prophecy says and having received the bridal garment and the crown of beauty she is taught by isaiah to dance and to present her thank-offerings unto god the king in reverent words let us hear her saying my soul shall rejoice in the lord for he hath clothed me with a garment of salvation and with a robe of gladness he hath bedecked me like a bridegroom with a garland and he hath adorned me like a bride with jewels and like the earth which bringeth forth her bud and like a garden which causeth the things that are sown in it to spring forth thus the lord god hath caused righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations in these words she exults and in similar words the heavenly bridegroom the word jesus christ himself answers her hear the lord saying fear not because thou hast been put to shame neither be thou confounded because thou hast been rebuked for thou shalt forget the former shame and the reproach of thy widowhood shalt thou remember no more not as a woman deserted and faint-hearted hath the lord called thee nor as a woman hated from her youth saith thy god for a small moment have i forsaken thee but with great mercy will i have mercy upon thee in a little wrath i hid my face from thee but with everlasting mercy will i have mercy upon thee saith the lord that hath redeemed thee awake awake thou who hast drunk at the hand of the lord the cup of his fury for thou hast drunk the cup of ruin 
the vessel of my wrath and hast drained it and there was none to console thee of all thy sons whom thou didst bring forth and there was none to take thee by the hand behold i have taken out of thine hand the cup of ruin the vessel of my fury and thou shalt no longer drink it and i will put it into the hands of them that have treated thee unjustly and have humbled thee awake awake put on thy strength put on thy glory shake off the dust and arise sit thee down loose the bands of thy neck lift up thine eyes round about and behold thy children gathered together behold they are gathered together and are come to thee as i live saith the lord thou shalt clothe thee with them all as with an ornament and gird thyself with them as with the ornaments of a bride for thy waste and corrupted and ruined places shall now be too narrow by reason of those that inhabit thee and they that swallow thee up shall be far from thee for thy sons whom thou hast lost shall say in thine ears the place is too narrow for me give place to me that i may dwell then shalt thou say in thine heart who hath begotten me these i am childless and a widow and who hath brought up these for me i was left alone and these where were they for me these are the things which isaiah foretold and which were anciently recorded concerning us in sacred books and it was necessary that we should sometime learn their truthfulness by their fulfilment for when the bridegroom the word addressed such language to his own bride the sacred and holy church this bridesman when she was desolate and lying like a corpse bereft of hope in the eyes of men in accordance with the united prayers of all of you as was proper stretched out your hands and aroused and raised her up at the command of god the universal king and at the manifestation of the power of jesus christ and having raised her he established her as he had learned from the description given in the sacred oracles this is indeed a very great wonder passing all admiration especially to those who attend only to the outward appearance but more wonderful than wonders are the archetypes and their mental prototypes and divine models i mean the reproductions of the inspired and rational building in our souls this the divine son himself created after his own image imparting to it everywhere and in all respects the likeness of god an incorruptible nature incorporeal rational free from all earthly matter a being endowed with its own intelligence and when he had once called her forth from non-existence into existence he made her a holy spouse an all-sacred temple for himself and for the father this also he clearly declares and confesses in the following words i will dwell in them and will walk in them and i will be their god and they shall be my people such is the perfect and purified soul so made from the beginning as to bear the image of the celestial word but when by the envy and zeal of the malignant demon she became of her own voluntary choice sensual and a lover of evil the deity left her and as if bereft of a protector she became an easy prey and readily accessible to those who had long envied her and being assailed by the batteries and machines of her invisible enemies and spiritual foes she suffered a terrible fall so that not one stone of virtue remained upon another in her but she lay completely dead upon the ground entirely divested of her natural ideas of god but as she who had been made in the image of god thus lay prostrate 
it was not that wild boar from the forest which we see that despoiled her but a certain destroying demon and spiritual wild beasts who deceived her with their passions as with the fiery darts of their own wickedness and burned the truly divine sanctuary of god with fire and profaned to the ground the tabernacle of his name then burying the miserable one with heaps of earth they destroyed every hope of deliverance but that divinely bright and saving word her protector after she had suffered the merited punishment for her sins again restored her securing the favor of the all-merciful father having won over first the souls of the highest rulers he purified through the agency of those most divinely favored princes the whole earth from all the impious destroyers and from the terrible and god-hating tyrants themselves then bringing out into the light those who were his friends who had long before been consecrated to him for life but in the midst as it were of a storm of evils had been concealed under his shelter he honored them worthily with the great gifts of the spirit and again by means of them he cleared out and cleaned with spades and mattocks the admonitory words of doctrine the souls which a little while before had been covered with filth and burdened with every kind of matter and rubbish of impious ordinances and when he had made the ground of all your minds clean and clear he finally committed it to this all-wise and god-beloved ruler who being endowed with judgment and prudence as well as with other gifts and being able to examine and discriminate accurately the minds of those committed to his charge from the first day so to speak down to the present has not ceased to build now he has supplied the brilliant gold again the refined and unalloyed silver and the precious and costly stones in all of you so that again is fulfilled for you in facts a sacred and mystic prophecy which says behold i make thy stone a carbuncle and thy foundations of sapphire and thy battlements of jasper and thy gates of crystals and thy wall of chosen stones and all thy sons shall be taught of god and thy children shall enjoy complete peace and in righteousness shalt thou be built building therefore in righteousness he divided the whole people according to their strength with some he fortified only the outer enclosure walling it up with unfeigned faith such were the great mass of the people who were incapable of bearing a greater structure others he permitted to enter the building commanding them to stand at the door and act as guides for those who should come in these may be not unfitly compared to the vestibules of the temple others he supported by the first pillars which are placed without about the quadrangular hall initiating them into the first elements of the letter of the four gospels still others he joined together about the basilica on both sides these are the catechumens who are still advancing and progressing and are not far separated from the inmost view of divine things granted to the faithful taking from among these the pure souls that have been cleansed like gold by divine washing he then supports them by pillars much better than those without made from the inner and mystic teachings of the scripture and illumines them by windows adorning the whole temple with a great vestibule of the glory of the one universal king and only god and placing on either side of the authority of the father christ and the holy spirit as second lights 
he exhibits abundantly and gloriously throughout the entire building the clearness and splendor of the truth of the rest in all its details and having selected from every quarter the living and moving and well-prepared stones of the souls he constructs out of them all the great and royal house splendid and full of light both within and without for not only soul and understanding but their body also is made glorious by the blooming ornament of purity and modesty and in this temple there are also thrones and a great number of seats and benches in all those souls in which sit the holy spirit's gifts such as were anciently seen by the sacred apostles and those who were with them when there appeared unto them tongues parting asunder like as of fire and sat upon each one of them but in the leader of all it is reasonable to suppose that christ himself dwells in his fullness and in those that occupy the second rank after him in proportion as each is able to contain the power of christ and of the holy spirit and the souls of some of these namely who are committed to each of them for instruction and care may be seats for angels but the great and august and unique altar what else could this be than the pure holy of holies of the soul of the common priest of all standing at the right of it jesus himself the great high priest of the universe the only begotten of god receives with bright eye and extended hand the sweet incense from all and the bloodless and immaterial sacrifices offered in their prayers and bears them to the heavenly father and god of the universe and he himself first worships him and alone gives to the father the reverence which is his due beseeching him also to continue always kind and propitious to us all such is the great temple which the great creator of the universe the word has built throughout the entire world making it an intellectual image upon earth of those things which lie above the vault of heaven so that throughout the whole creation including rational beings on earth his father might be honored and adored but the region above the heavens with the models of earthly things which are there and the so-called jerusalem above and the heavenly mount of zion and the supramundane city of the living god in which innumerable choirs of angels and the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven praise their maker and the supreme ruler of the universe with hymns of praise unutterable and incomprehensible to us who that is mortal is able worthily to celebrate this for eye hath not seen nor ear heard neither have entered into the heart of men those things which god hath prepared for them that love him since we men children and women small and great are already in part partakers of these things let us not cease altogether with one spirit and one soul to confess and praise the author of such great benefits to us who forgiveth all our iniquities who healeth all our diseases who redeemeth our life from destruction who crowneth us with mercy and compassion who satisfieth our desires with good things for he hath not dealt with us according to our sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities for as far as the east is from the west so far hath he removed our iniquities from us like as a father pitieth his own children so the lord pitieth them that fear him rekindling these thoughts in our memories both now and during all time to come 
and contemplating in our mind night and day in every hour and with every breath so to speak the author and ruler of the present festival and of this bright and most splendid day let us love and adore him with every power of the soul and now rising let us beseech him with loud voice to shelter and preserve us to the end in his fold granting his unbroken and unshaken peace for ever in christ jesus our saviour through whom be the glory unto him for ever and ever amen chapter five copies of imperial laws let us finally subjoin the translations from the roman tongue of the imperial decrees of constantine and licinius copy of imperial decrees translated from the roman tongue perceiving long ago that religious liberty ought not to be denied but that it ought to be granted to the judgment and desire of each individual to perform his religious duties according to his own choice we had given orders that every man christians as well as others should preserve the faith of his own sect and religion but since in that rescript in which such liberty was granted them many and various conditions seemed clearly added some of them it may be after a little retired from such observance when i constantine augustus and i licinius augustus came under favorable auspices to milan and took under consideration everything which pertained to the common weal and prosperity we resolved among other things or rather first of all to make such decrees as seemed in many respects for the benefit of every one namely such as should preserve reverence and piety toward the deity we resolved that is to grant both to the christians and to all men freedom to follow the religion which they choose that whatever heavenly divinity exists may be propitious to us and to all that live under our government we have therefore determined with sound and upright purpose that liberty is to be denied to no one to choose and to follow the religious observances of the christians but that to each one freedom is to be given to devote his mind to that religion which he may think adapted to himself in order that the deity may exhibit to us in all things his accustomed care and favor it was fitting that we should write that this is our pleasure that those conditions being entirely left out which were contained in our former letter concerning the christians which was sent to your devotedness everything that seemed very severe and foreign to our mildness may be annulled and that now every one who has the same desire to observe the religion of the christians may do so without molestation we have resolved to communicate this most fully to thy care in order that thou mayest know that we have granted to these same christians freedom and full liberty to observe their own religion since this has been granted freely by us to them thy devotedness perceives that liberty is granted to others also who may wish to follow their own religious observances it being clearly in accordance with the tranquillity of our times that each one should have the liberty of choosing and worshipping whatever deity he pleases this has been done by us in order that we might not seem in any way to discriminate against any rank or religion and we decree still further in regard to the christians that their places in which they were formerly accustomed to assemble 
and concerning which in the former letter sent to thy devotedness a different command was given if it appear that any have bought them either from our treasury or from any other person shall be restored to the said christians without demanding money or any other equivalent with no delay or hesitation if any happen to have received the said places as a gift they shall restore them as quickly as possible to these same christians with the understanding that if those who have bought these places or those who have received them as a gift demand anything from our bounty they may go to the judge of the district that provision may be made for them by our clemency all these things are to be granted to the society of christians by your care immediately and without any delay and since the said christians are known to have possessed not only those places in which they were accustomed to assemble but also other places belonging not to individuals among them but to the society as a whole that is to the society of christians you will command that all these in virtue of the law which we have above stated be restored without any hesitation to these same christians that is to their society and congregation the above-mentioned provision being of course observed that those who restore them without price as we have before said may expect indemnification from our bounty in all these things for the behoof of the aforesaid society of christians you are to use the utmost diligence to the end that our command may be speedily fulfilled and that in this also by our clemency provision may be made for the common and public tranquillity for by this means as we have said before the divine favor toward us which we have already experienced in many matters will continue sure through all time and that the terms of this our gracious ordinance may be known to all it is expected that this which we have written will be published everywhere by you and brought to the knowledge of all in order that this gracious ordinance of ours may remain unknown to no one copy of another imperial decree which they issued indicating that the grant was made to the catholic church alone greeting to thee our most esteemed annulinus it is the custom of our benevolence most esteemed annulinus to will that those things which belong of right to another should not only be left unmolested but should also be restored wherefore it is our will that when thou receivest this letter if any such things belong to the catholic church of the christians in any city or other place but are now held by citizens or by any others thou shalt cause them to be restored immediately to the said churches for we have already determined that those things which these same churches formerly possessed shall be restored to them since therefore thy devotedness perceives that this command of ours is most explicit do thou make haste to restore to them as quickly as possible everything which formerly belonged to the said churches whether gardens or buildings or whatever they may be that we may learn that thou hast obeyed this decree of ours most carefully farewell our most esteemed and beloved annulinus copy of an epistle in which the emperor commands that a synod of bishops be held at rome in behalf of the unity and concord of the churches constantine augustus to miltiades bishop of rome and to marcus 
since many such communications have been sent to me by anulinus the most illustrious proconsul of africa in which it is said that caecilianus bishop of the city of carthage has been accused by some of his colleagues in africa in many matters and since it seems to me a very serious thing that in those provinces which divine providence has freely entrusted to my devotedness and in which there is a great population the multitude are found following the baser course and dividing as it were into two parties and the bishops are at variance it has seemed good to me that caecilianus himself with ten of the bishops that appear to accuse him and with ten others whom he may consider necessary for his defence should sail to rome that there in the presence of yourselves and of reticius and maternus and morinus your colleagues whom i have commanded to hasten to rome for this purpose he may be heard as you may understand to be in accordance with the most holy law but in order that you may be enabled to have most perfect knowledge of all these things i have subjoined to my letter copies of the documents sent to me by anulinus and have sent them to your above-mentioned colleagues when your firmness has read these you will consider in what way the above-mentioned case may be most accurately investigated and justly decided for it does not escape your diligence that i have such reverence for the legitimate catholic church that i do not wish you to leave schism or division in any place may the divinity of the great god preserve you most honored sirs for many years copy of an epistle in which the emperor commands another synod to be held for the purpose of removing all dissensions among the bishops constantine augustus to crestus bishop of syracuse when some began wickedly and perversely to disagree among themselves in regard to the holy worship and celestial power and catholic doctrine wishing to put an end to such disputes among them i formerly gave command that certain bishops should be sent from gaul and that the opposing parties who were contending persistently and incessantly with each other should be summoned from africa that in their presence and in the presence of the bishop of rome the matter which appeared to be causing the disturbance might be examined and decided with all care but since as it happens some forgetful both of their own salvation and of the reverence due to the most holy religion do not even yet bring hostilities to an end and are unwilling to conform to the judgment already passed and assert that those who expressed their opinions and decisions were few or that they had been too hasty and precipitate in giving judgment before all the things which ought to have been accurately investigated had been examined on account of all this it has happened that those very ones who ought to hold brotherly and harmonious relations toward each other are shamefully or rather abominably divided among themselves and give occasion for ridicule to those men whose souls are aliens to this most holy religion wherefore it has seemed necessary to me to provide that this dissension which ought to have ceased after the judgment had been already given by their own voluntary agreement should now if possible be brought to an end by the presence of many since therefore we have commanded a number of bishops from a great many different places to assemble in the city of arles before the calends of august we have thought proper to write to thee also that thou shouldst secure from the most illustrious latronianus corrector of sicily a public vehicle 
and that thou shouldst take with thee two others of the second rank whom thou thyself shalt choose together with three servants who may serve you on the way and betake thyself to the above-mentioned place before the appointed day that by thy firmness and by the wise unanimity and harmony of the others present this dispute which has disgracefully continued until the present time in consequence of certain shameful strifes after all has been heard which those have to say who are now at variance with one another and whom we have likewise commanded to be present may be settled in accordance with the proper faith and that brotherly harmony though it be but gradually may be restored may the almighty god preserve thee in health for many years end of book ten part two Book Ten, Part Three of Eusebius Church History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Leeson. Church History by Eusebius of Caesarea. Translated by Arthur Cushman McGifford. Book Ten, Part Three, Chapters Six through Nine. Chapter 6. Copy of an Imperial Epistle in which money is granted to the churches. Constantine Augustus to Caecilianus, Bishop of Carthage. Since it is our pleasure that something should be granted in all the provinces of Africa and Numidia and Mauritania to certain ministers of the legitimate and most holy Catholic religion to defray their expenses, I have written to Ursus, the illustrious finance minister of Africa, and have directed him to make provision to pay to thy firmness three thousand follies. Do thou therefore, when thou hast received the above sum of money, command that it be distributed among all those mentioned above, according to the brief sent to thee by Hosius. But if thou shouldst find that anything is wanting for the fulfillment of this purpose of mine in regard to all of them, thou shalt demand without hesitation from Heracleides, our treasurer, whatever thou findest to be necessary. For I commanded him when he was present that if thy firmness should ask him for any money, he should see to it that it be paid without delay. And since I have learned that some men of unsettled mind wish to turn the people from the most holy and Catholic church by a certain method of shameful corruption, do thou know that I gave command to Anulinus, the proconsul, and also to Patricius, vicar of the prefects when they were present that they should give proper attention not only to other matters but also above all to this and that they should not overlook such a thing when it happened wherefore if thou shouldst see any such men continuing in this madness do thou without delay go to the above-mentioned judges and report the matter to them that they may correct them as i commanded them when they were present the divinity of the great God preserve thee for many years. Chapter 7. The Exemption of the Clergy Copy of an epistle in which the emperor commands that the rulers of the churches be exempted from all political duties. Greeting to thee, our most esteemed Anulinus. 
since it appears from many circumstances that when that religion is despised in which is preserved the chief reverence for the most holy celestial power great dangers are brought upon public affairs but that when legally adopted and observed it affords the most signal prosperity to the roman name and remarkable felicity to all the affairs of men through the divine beneficence it has seemed good to me most esteemed annulinus that those men who give their services with due sanctity and with constant observance of this law to the worship of the divine religion should receive recompense for their labors wherefore it is my will that those within the province entrusted to thee in the catholic church over which caecilianus presides who give their services to this holy religion and who are commonly called clergymen be entirely exempted from all public duties that they may not by any error or sacrilegious negligence be drawn away from the service due to the deity but may devote themselves without any hindrance to their own law for it seems that when they show greatest reverence to the deity the greatest benefits accrue to the state farewell our most esteemed and beloved annulinus chapter eight the subsequent wickedness of licinius and his death such blessings did divine and heavenly grace confer upon us through the appearance of our saviour and such was the abundance of benefits which prevailed among all men in consequence of the peace which we enjoyed and thus were our affairs crowned with rejoicings and festivities but malignant envy and the demon who loves that which is evil were not able to bear the sight of these things and moreover the events that befell the tyrants whom we have already mentioned were not sufficient to bring licinius to sound reason for the latter although his government was prosperous and he was honored with the second rank after the great emperor constantine and was connected with him by the closest ties of marriage abandoned the imitation of good deeds and emulated the wickedness of the impious tyrants whose end he had seen with his own eyes and chose rather to follow their principles than to continue in friendly relations with him who was better than they being envious of the common benefactor he waged an impious and most terrible war against him paying regard neither to laws of nature nor treaties nor blood and giving no thought to covenants for constantine like an all-gracious emperor giving him evidences of true favor did not refuse alliance with him and did not refuse him the illustrious marriage with his sister but honored him by making him a partaker of the ancestral nobility and the ancient imperial blood and granted him the right of sharing in the dominion over all as a brother-in-law and co-regent conferring upon him the government and administration of no less a portion of the roman provinces than he himself possessed but licinius on the contrary pursued a course directly opposite to this forming daily all kinds of plots against his superior and devising all sorts of mischief that he might repay his benefactor with evils at first he attempted to conceal his preparations and pretended to be a friend and practised frequently fraud and deceit in the hope that he might easily accomplish the desired end but god was the friend protector and guardian of constantine and bringing the plots which had been formed in secrecy and darkness to the light he foiled them 
so much virtue does the great armor of piety possess for the warding off of enemies and for the preservation of our own safety protected by this our most divinely favored emperor escaped the multitudinous plots of the abominable man but when licinius perceived that his secret preparations by no means progressed according to his mind for god revealed every plot and wickedness to the god-favored emperor being no longer able to conceal himself he undertook an open war and at the same time that he determined to wage war with constantine he also proceeded to join battle with the god of the universe whom he knew that constantine worshipped and began gently for a time and quietly to attack his pious subjects who had never done his government any harm this he did under the compulsion of his innate wickedness which drove him into terrible blindness he did not therefore keep before his eyes the memory of those who had persecuted the christians before him nor of those whose destroyer and executioner he had been appointed on account of the impieties which they had committed but departing from sound reason being seized in a word with insanity he determined to war against god himself as the ally of constantine instead of against the one who was assisted by him and in the first place he drove from his house every christian thus depriving himself wretched man of the prayers which they offered to god in his behalf which they are accustomed according to the teaching of their fathers to offer for all men then he commanded that the soldiers in the cities should be cashiered and stripped of their rank unless they chose to sacrifice to the demons and yet these were small matters when compared with the greater things that followed why is it necessary to relate minutely and in detail all that was done by the hater of god and to recount how this most lawless man invented unlawful laws he passed an ordinance that no one should exercise humanity toward the sufferers in prison by giving them food and that none should show mercy to those that were perishing of hunger in bonds that no one should in any way be kind or do any good act even though moved by nature herself to sympathize with one's neighbors and this was indeed an openly shameful and most cruel law calculated to expel all natural kindliness and in addition to this it was also decreed as a punishment that those who showed compassion should suffer the same things with those whom they compassionated and that those who kindly ministered to the suffering should be thrown into bonds and into prison and should endure the same punishment with the sufferers such were the decrees of licinius why should we recount his innovations in regard to marriage or in regard to the dying innovations by which he ventured to annul the ancient laws of the romans which had been well and wisely formed and to introduce certain barbarous and cruel laws which were truly unlawful and lawless he invented to the detriment of the provinces which were subject to him innumerable prosecutions and all sorts of methods of extorting gold and silver new measurements of land and injurious exactions from men in the country who were no longer living but long since dead why is it necessary to speak at length of the banishments which in addition to these things this enemy of mankind inflicted upon those who had done no wrong the expatriations of men of noble birth and high reputation whose young wives he snatched from them and consigned to certain baser fellows of his own to be shamefully abused by them 
and the many married women and virgins upon whom he gratified his passions although he was in advanced age why i say is it necessary to speak at length of these things when the excessive wickedness of his last deeds makes the first appear small and of no account for finally he reached such a pitch of madness that he attacked the bishops supposing that they as servants of the god over all would be hostile to his measures he did not yet proceed against them openly on account of his fear of his superior but as before secretly and craftily employing the treachery of the governors for the destruction of the most distinguished of them and the manner of their murder was strange and such as had never before been heard of the deeds which he performed at Amasea and in the other cities of Pontus surpassed every excess of cruelty. Some of the churches of God were again razed to the ground, others were closed, so that none of those accustomed to frequent them could enter them and render the worship due to God. For his evil conscience led him to suppose that prayers were not offered in his behalf, but he was persuaded that we did everything in the interest of the god-beloved emperor and that we supplicated god for him therefore he hastened to turn his fury against us and then those among the governors who wished to flatter him perceiving that in doing such things they pleased the impious tyrant made some of the bishops suffer the penalties customarily inflicted upon criminals and led away and without any pretext punished like murderers those who had done no wrong some now endured a new form of death having their bodies cut into many pieces with the sword and after this savage and most horrible spectacle being thrown into the depths of the sea as food for fishes thereupon the worshippers of god again fled and fields and deserts forests and mountains again received the servants of christ and when the impious tyrant had thus met with success in these measures, he finally planned to renew the persecution against all. And he would have succeeded in his design, and there would have been nothing to hinder him in the work, had not God, the defender of the lives of his own people, most quickly anticipated that which was about to happen, and caused a great light to shine forth as in the midst of a dark and gloomy night, and raised up a deliverer for all, leading into those regions with a lofty arm his servant Constantine. Chapter 9. The Victory of Constantine, and the Blessings Which Under Him Accrued to the Subjects of the Roman Empire. To him, therefore, God granted, from heaven above, the deserved fruit of piety, the trophies of victory over the impious, and he cast the guilty one with all his counsellors and friends prostrate at the feet of Constantine. For when Licinius carried his madness to the last extreme, the emperor, the friend of God, thinking that he ought no longer to be tolerated, acting upon the basis of sound judgment, and mingling the firm principles of justice with humanity, gladly determined to come to the protection of those who were oppressed by the tyrant, and undertook, by putting a few destroyers out of the way, to save the greater part of the human race. For when he had formerly exercised humanity alone and had shown mercy to him who was not worthy of sympathy, nothing was accomplished, for Licinius did not renounce his wickedness, but rather increased his fury against the peoples that were subject to him, and there was left to the afflicted no hope of salvation, oppressed as they were by a savage beast. 
wherefore the protector of the virtuous mingling hatred for evil with love for good went forth with his son crispus a most beneficent prince and extended a saving right hand to all that were perishing both of them father and son under the protection as it were of god the universal king with the son of god the saviour of all as their leader and ally drew up their forces on all sides against the enemies of the deity and won an easy victory god having prospered them in the battle in all respects according to their wish thus suddenly and sooner than can be told those who yesterday and the day before breathed death and threatening were no more and not even their names were remembered but their inscriptions and their honors suffered the merited disgrace and the things which licinius with his own eyes had seen come upon the former impious tyrants he himself likewise suffered because he did not receive instruction nor learn wisdom from the chastisements of his neighbors but followed the same path of impiety which they had trod and was justly hurled over the same precipice thus he lay prostrate but constantine the mightiest victor adorned with every virtue of piety together with his son crispus a most god-beloved prince and in all respects like his father recovered the east which belonged to them and they formed one united roman empire as of old bringing under their peaceful sway the whole world from the rising of the sun to the opposite quarter both north and south even to the extremities of the declining day all fear therefore of those who had formerly afflicted them was taken away from men and they celebrated splendid and festive days everything was filled with light and those who before were downcast beheld each other with smiling faces and beaming eyes with dances and hymns in city and country they glorified first of all god the universal king because they had been thus taught and then the pious emperor with his god-beloved children there was oblivion of past evils and forgetfulness of every deed of impiety there was enjoyment of present benefits and expectation of those yet to come edicts full of clemency and laws containing tokens of benevolence and true piety were issued in every place by the victorious emperor thus after all tyranny had been purged away the empire which belonged to them was preserved firm and without a rival for constantine and his sons alone and having obliterated the godlessness of their predecessors recognizing the benefits conferred upon them by god they exhibited their love of virtue and their love of god and their piety and gratitude to the deity by the deeds which they performed in the sight of all men end of book 10 part 3 end of church history by eusebius of caesarea translated by arthur cushman mcgifford